This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Letterboxd. This is Ben Sears at Ben Sears on Letterboxd. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com and more podcasts proudly presented by Obsessive Viewer at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer, where if you pledge $1 per month, you get access to over 150 exclusive B-roll episodes of us just kind of farting around and actually talking about other like movies uh, other topics and everything kind of a free form conversation um that precedes most uh most episodes of the podcast uh recording that's at $1 per month at $2 you get that plus TV and book reviews and reaction episodes i did a whole review series on um Midnight Mass, and I'm currently working on Chapel Weight and Foundation, and I'm about to start Invasion on Apple TV+. I also have season reviews of Mythic Quest and a series review of Superstore, and uh, just a bunch of stuff, a bunch of Marvel stuff too, so that's at the $2 level, and then at $5, you get both of those levels. You get all of that I've said already, plus commentary tracks and immediate reviews. So, Tiny and I did a parking lot special for the $5 uh, tier on dune and um i have been kind of burning through a bunch of commentary tracks on there so you can get commentary tracks for halloween kills halloween h20 halloween 2018 halloween 1978 halloween 2 1981 uh doctor sleep it chapter 2 um the shining and uh in the tall grass and um when is halloween 3 coming ex machina Oh, uh, uh, never. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, not, not, not enough money in the world. Yep. Um, uh, Paige just watched the original for the first time this weekend. Oh, nice. And she was asking about the other ones and I was like, yeah, there's one and there's two and two's pretty good. So <laughs> right. I was like, three doesn't exist. They went straight to four right. and I was explaining it <laughs> there, to her. I have had, so, like, I, I've had lengthy conversations with Mike because he's of the same mind of this uh, mm-hmm. as I am about to say. There is this weird reverence for halloween three why i don't know <laughs> ben have you seen any of the halloweens none of them okay, okay. interesting and i'm gonna do something super original that no one has ever <laughs> thought of before i'm gonna watch the original halloween on halloween oh, nice shit. what nice uh, but speaking of which are you gonna watch it with my commentary track um <laughs> oh, you shouldn't if that's away. your first viewing you should not <laughs> right uh actually i was gonna mention i just saw this on instagram today mm. the can can cinema is showing the original halloween this weekend oh nice uh, the 29th through the 31st nice. oh that's awesome so very cool highly recommend that theater if you guys are oh able to. man yeah i haven't been there yet i don't think think i've seen have i seen halloween in the theater i honestly don't think i have i haven't wow i'm gonna yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna do my best to go that'd be fun with a crowd yeah 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 do you do you guys want to go 
dude. I'm like, it's, just, I'm it's you know, I don't just, know. We'll, we'll that's see. so I'm nice right. of you to cancel I your plans. <laughs> uh, yeah, let me just uh, tell my kids that we won't be going trick or treat. Yeah, bring them. Then... It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> since I am single and have no attachments, I will be at the Can Can this weekend watching Halloween. <laughs> um, but yeah. Oh, also, I have commentary tracks for a bunch of stuff over there. Throne of Blood, as well as another one. Up there, that's at the $5 level. And then at $10, you get everything that I've said, plus early access to episodes and unreleased content. So all of that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And for you Stephen King aficionados, beginning in January, I'm doing The Church of King, which is every Sunday in 2022, God willing, I'm going to be uh, releasing uh, exclusive Patreon content at the $2 level, $2 and above levels, uh, that is breaking down... Stephen King short stories that are collected. So I have like a five episode series on Night Shift and I'm going to do four episodes on uh, different seasons and then go chronologically through his collection. So uh, consider joining us on Patreon for that adventure. Um, okay. So, um, the selling out of the way, uh, I'm, I'm your host, Matt Hurt, the aforementioned Matt Hurt. And with me today, uh, I still have not changed the notes on here. With me today is... Tiny, of course. Hi. Yes. And our recurring co-host and contributor on ObsessiveViewer.com and friend, Mr. Ben Sears. How's it going? Wonderful. Nice. Uh, yeah. So today on the podcast, we are going to be really, oh, we're going to be talking about some uh, just horrific stuff. Um, just horrific stuff, I should clarify. Um, in real life, like the tragedy on the set of Rust. Um mm. And then we'll we'll also be doing um, a review of Dune. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's pretty much what's on the docket. Um, before we get into news and everything, what like what do you guys got going on? What's up? <laughs> oh man, um, Halloween this weekend. Yes, the holiday, not the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's exciting. Yeah. yeah, are you guys doing anything special aside from like trick or treating and watching Halloween on Halloween? Not me. No. Um. Maybe some yard work. Nice. Uh, Same here. Yeah, I'm going to stand in a yard in a jumpsuit and a mask uh, <laughs> behind a clothesline. Just talking teenagers. Do, do you, uh, that reminds me, living in an apartment, do you ever get any trick-or-treaters? No, I do not. Um, okay. I think the complex does, uh, <laughs> so I think the complex does Trunk or Maybe treat. a trunk or treat thing, yeah. but I don't know because they haven't said anything, but they did send an email that was like, uh, we're going to do a costume contest for your pets and everything. So bring your pets to the office or something in costume <laughs> or show pictures and stuff. And I'm like, are they trying to weed out the people that are trying to skirt the pet deposit thing? <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I don't get any uh, trick or treaters here or anything. Um uh, tiny does the town of speedway have like like do you guys get trick-or-treaters on mm-hmm. your street okay yeah. we get some they oh. do a trunk-or-treat thing on main street too. yeah uh like a daredevil <clears throat> maybe but uh mm-hmm. and that's kind of shitty in my opinion well not shitty but oh, it's just okay. like <laughs> i don't know it just kind of takes away some of the fun in my mm, opinion tiny but, with uh, a hot take on trunk-or-treats <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm gonna total totally pull a karen at the town hall right. meeting. <laughs> <laughs> this is bullshit yeah. unmask our kids right oh god <laughs> oh, oh yeah. boy untrunk our yeah. kids right. no that doesn't make any sense 
Shrunk twenty twenty four. That's dumb. <laughs> but yeah, we uh, we uh, we get some. We get a fair amount of trick or treaters. On nice our, on Speedway Drive. Nice. Nice. Yeah. What's the number on there? The address? Uh, <laughs> you know, six six six. Nice. <laughs> How festive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's cool. I don't get any trick or treaters. My plan. My idea for because I've I've I have been like busy. I've been making myself busy with a bunch of Patreon stuff and everything. Um, but I like ideally on the weekend I want to catch up on on all that and everything. And I have been really deeply considering uh, taking Monday off of work so that I can spend all day Sunday, which is Halloween. Mm-hmm. I want to spend it, and this is just. I don't know. I'm a child. Um, and also this is going to be like, I'm going to stroke out, but um, <laughs> I just want to like get a bunch of candy and just spend the whole day and night watching movies, watching horror movies and stuff. Um, and then go into a diabetic coma and then, um, yeah. <laughs> nice. And then have pizza, eat, eat my carcass. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. She for sure would. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's She's... how I'd want to go. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh yeah, I don't know. I wish I had like it on like the soundboard or whatever, but I just imagine like Duncan Idaho saying like they fight like demons. Um <laughs> and just like have a picture of pizza or something. Nice. Um but uh yeah, I also said this, I think it was off mic. Um I don't think it was recorded, but just to say it. Um I have started reading The Green Mile. And uh for a couple of reasons. One is and this also ties into my promotion for Patreon, but for Tower Junkies Tiny, we don't have the Green Mile on the docket immediately. Mm-hmm. But our friend Kim C from the Year of Underrated Stephen King and former guest on the podcast and hopefully future guest if she puts up with us uh long enough. <laughs> um uh she's covering uh she's covering the Green Mile on her podcast, uh installment by installment, because it's a serialized release. So like I've been very excited to do that. Also, not to tell tales outside of school or anything, not that anyone really cares, but uh as I've been known known that people don't care when I talk about this stuff, but uh she got a new microphone. It was a microphone that I suggested, so I'm very <laughs> excited to to uh hear the new mic on her podcast. Sweet. But the reason I brought that all up is that a I'm doing I'm going to do a big Patreon thing where I'm doing kind of the same thing I did with Billy Summers. Each part of the book, I am recording my thoughts, and I'm going to read the next part, and then record my thoughts, and then so on and so forth, and put them all together into one big Patreon book review hmm. that I'll throw on Patreon at the two dollar level. That should be coming fairly quickly, I think, in the next. Uh, couple of weeks i I would say i give i'd give myself a couple of weeks but also um, (laughs) because i'm insane it's six parts so each part is going to be recorded in a different way with the the equipment Um, (laughs) like a different mic for each one and i'm just going to kind of gauge to see what what it's like all together anyway wow patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and the reason i brought that all up is because i have been saying in like ridiculous accented voice and everything i've been saying john coffee walking a mile um, and I just wanted to get that on here. <laughs> um, John Coffey, walk on the mile. I I don't know. Such I'm a stupid. bad hurt thing. Very much. So, um, <laughs> should we go into new... Do you guys have any other new business before we go into our news segment and talk about super serious stuff? Negative, Ghost Rider. Okay. All right. So, uh, before we get into our review of Dune, which, of course, we'll do a non-spoiler and spoiler review of Dune... Um, Actually, so we didn't record a Patreon recording before this because we're actually peek behind the curtain doubling up on recordings tonight. But I do have 
I'm going to have to check and see how it sounds and like what how it is. But I think I'm going to throw my uh, thoughts on Dune the book um, to on on Patreon for this. But anyway, that's all meaningless. Um, but I recorded that months ago. So anyway, to before we get into that, uh, there was industry news that hit that is tragic and horrifying and um and it's been making the making you know it's been in the media cycle for uh the past couple of weeks and i kind of want us to talk about it so on the independent film rust there was a tragic incident involving a prop gun that uh star and producer alec baldwin was rehearsing a scene and uh was told that it was a it was a cold weapon, meaning that there was nothing in the chamber. Um, which I feel like this, and this may not be, um, th- this this may not be. I-, I may be out of my element a little bit, but what I have gathered is that there is seemingly a. I think that there's there's a vernacular to filmmaking that I think people are not immediately conscious of or 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 knowledgeable of when hearing about this so just to clear that up from my understanding and i'll put links in the show notes and everything from my understanding when they say live ammo or a live round is in the chamber that does not mean to my knowledge i don't think that that means a full-on like bullet like Mm -hmm. I think that means that it has been prepped to fire a blank, which Tiny, you can probably confirm this. A blank, from what I understand, is like a bullet, but the gunpowder is like this. It's not like uh, enough to project. I don't. Do you know? What I've blank never is? shot a blank. I don't know a lot okay. about them, but I know that there's no projectile. There's no gotcha. cartridge, to my knowledge. Yeah. Um. It's just like it's basically just powder in there yeah hmm. it's, it's, to my knowledge that's what it is I, okay yeah so yeah but i think and i think that this dates back to like the brandon lee tragedy on the crow mm-hmm. but i think there's there's a chance if it's not properly configured and properly done that a projectile could like shrapnel could come out mm-hmm. of it okay and i think that that's what killed brandon lee okay but, that sounds right yeah but this in this case it was a situation where uh the from what I read, the assistant director um, handed the gun to to Alec Baldwin, said it's a cold round or it's a cold cold prop, meaning that there was nothing in it. They were rehearsing a scene, and then he, you know, rehearsed the scene, fired the gun. Whatever was in it was a projectile, came out and injured the director and killed the cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and I just kind of want to talk about that. Um, and kind of see what see what uh, you guys um, think about it and what you've read about it and everything. The director is Joel Souza, and uh, the cinematographer. I just need to make sure I get her name right. Uh, Helena Hutchins, um, who tragically passed away in it mm-hmm. in this instance. So uh, let's talk about it. What what did you guys what did you guys think upon hearing about this uh, this horrific uh, incident? Well, I mean, obviously it's super tragic, and I was shocked by it um thankfully it's not something that you hear about much i think i think the last time right. that mm-hmm. happened was brandon lee back in 90 90 whatever mm-hmm. um but you know i i am not really a fan of alec baldwin the person 
sure uh, as an actor i'm a fan i think he's good he's a good actor he's funny um but just and i never <laughs> i never like read any of his tweets or watch interviews with him i just think he's a bit annoying sure um but i i felt so horrible for that guy oh yeah right. um there yeah. was there was a picture that was probably taken in poor taste that was circulating mm-hmm. where he was outside the police station looked like he was kind of doubled over maybe throwing yeah. up or something and it was after the after he got the news and mm-hmm. that was a heartbreaking photo um so yeah. i i feel really horrible for him um and you know as a as a you know kind of a firearm enthusiast myself i mm-hmm. i i guess i have a different take on it not i don't know about that but i guess i have a a take on it but you know i i think I, i've seen a lot of <laughs> like right wing gun people come out and be like, well, he broke the cardinal rule of yeah, weapons I, handling. Uh, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's different. It's different on a movie set. They were rehearsing right. a scene. I was right. like, I, that was my initial thought too. I was like, you always check. If someone hands you, I mean, if someone hands you, what, like it's not loaded, they hand you the gun, you always check. Like, right. like I've, I've gone to gun stores and gun shows and stuff like that. And literally, if you ask someone behind the counter, like, hey, can I see that firearm? As soon as they take it out of the case, they check the chamber mm-hmm. and like they know it's unloaded, but it's like a muscle memory thing. And so you always check, like it doesn't matter what the person tells you, you always check. Mm-hmm. So he could have checked before the scene, but still, I, again, I don't know enough about blanks. I, he, he would have seen something in there, but how would he know if it was a live round or the rounds mis, miscalibrated? Were they, I, I don't know. I, I don't know mm-hmm. enough about it to really have an opinion on that, but I mean... I, I can't really blame him. He's certainly not at fault. I, I don't want. I don't really hold anything against Alec Baldwin. I think it's just a um, a terrible accident and a just a tragedy. And it's it's something that should never happen. But stuff that's not supposed to happen still happens. You know. Um, yeah. yeah. I just feel really bad for everybody involved. Yeah. Same. Same here. Uh, ben, uh, what did you what did you think of all this? Yeah. Um, it's it's terrible uh and it, the first i think the first headline that i saw about it was something like alec baldwin kills cinematographer or something and then it, right. no that's that's very misleading right um and just it seems like almost every day since uh since this happened more and more news has come out about yeah. the film set and the people that were working on the set <clears throat> and yeah. it just keeps getting worse and worse and I, it just sounds yeah. terrible. I just saw a headline. I didn't read the article. I'll put a link in the show notes and everything that, uh, by the way, follow W Earl Brown, the actor on Twitter. Cause he, like he's been just, I, I don't think he's involved with the production at all, but he like, I'm, I'm going to read a Twitter thread that he did. Um, but he, like his timeline is filled with like the, like the most accurate, like positioning about, you know, gun safety and everything on a film set and everything. Mm-hmm. It's very knowledgeable and interesting, which I'll indicate here. But one of the articles that he shared that I haven't read yet, cause I literally just saw it was that the pistol that was used was also used for, uh, live target practice on the set, like in recreational target practice. Oh, wow. So like, and like one of the points is that like at no point should a prop gun be used for real anything right. like in and, and the only reason why the only time a prop gun should be used is when it is being used in on on the film like right. it is being yeah and so yeah do you guys mind if i read his twitter thread really quick or sure. did you guys have more to no, say go ben? For it. no go okay ahead. i know i kind of interrupted you there <laughs> 
Um, okay, so I'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. Um, he said, and I don't remember when this happened, but John Eric Hexum, um, I think that that... I don't know. Anyway, so so the Twitter thread is as such. This is from W. Earl Brown, uh, the actor on uh, uh, on Twitter. Um, okay. In the aftermath of John Eric Hexum, the dedicated crew job of weapons handler was created. Someone whose sole rips responsibilities overseeing any and all firearms used on a movie set. In the aftermath of Brandon Lee, the rules got much stricter and oversight increased. Uh, for rehearsals, we are, ge- we, were, we are given rubber weapons. When it is necessary for a re- real weapon to be used, the weapons handler clears the chamber, the cylinder, the clip, etc. Anywhere a projectile can lodge is checked. If dummy bullets are required, each shell is checked before loading. This process is then checked by an assistant director or director and then by any actors involved in the scene. The weapon is usually dry fired. At all times, ev- treat every weapon as if it's loaded. Barrel down, uncocked, finger off the trigger. If a live blank is required, it is loaded at the last minute. The presence of a live round is always announced so that everyone knows the size of the load and the round is and the round and that the round is live. As soon as cut is called, the weapon is to be returned to the handler. No exceptions. Those are the rules. Hmm. Um, yeah, and then like like that's just kind of a baseline for what the film industry should be doing in terms of of safety protocols for uh, like guns on set. Yeah, and. I think that this situation, I, I think what I'm what I'm kind of my position on, maybe not position on, but my kind of thought process about it is that I think that like this isn't a thing that happens on film sets, like 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 right. we said, it doesn't happen. It's once in a blue moon. It should never happen, though. It right. should blanket yeah. statement never ever happen. But I think that this is something that will have long term you know, changes and everything, which it should. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that the 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 uh, network drama The Rookie, I think, is no longer going to use real weapons. They're going to just mm-hmm. CGI, uh, like, the firing of guns. Oh, wow. Which I'm very curious. Um, it's going to be expensive. Yeah, yeah, for a network show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, and I mean, it just, it reminds me of, like, Son of, Sons of Anarchy. They did CGI squib packs. Oh yeah, and it you looked could, you fucking god awful. You can tell, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's beside the point. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that looked terrible. But um, oh, I lost my train of thought there. So, um, all of that plus oh, there was like rep- oh, that's what I was saying. Okay, so on big budget movies like studio films, I'm sure that they follow these guidelines rigorously and everything. Mm-hmm. But this was an independent film set. And I think that there is something to that, that maybe that is, I don't know, there's a bunch of extenuating circumstances. But what I'm getting at is that I think that this could be a, uh, I don't know, this could, it. I don't know, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I don't want to say like, this could be bad for independent filmmaking or anything like that. Oh, right. Because mm-hmm. it's bad for every everything. Like, it's, yeah. it's a bad, it's a, it's a terrible thing that happened. Mm. But... Just the idea that there were so many safety precautions that were just cast aside, mm-hmm. I think that that is something that is very criminal and you know horrifying. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, yeah. Because Ben, have you read like the other stuff that's come out about the production and everything? No, mostly okay. headlines. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, okay. I, I feel like I've been keeping pretty well updated on. Yeah. 
Because yeah. the, the prop gun had misfires like three times beforehand. Right. And like that day, most of the crew or a bunch of the crew like resigned and left like that morning. Yeah. Right. Because of safety precautions and everything. Right. And it's like all like union stuff and everything is all like at play there and everything. But like it's just it's it's just a massive tragedy and just a massive right. shit show for everything. And, you know, from a technical standpoint, I can't believe that there's not a way to make a, a, a gun that has some function be completely safe. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. cause, cause gun, gun technology, spoiler alert is old. Mm. It's not, oh, it's yeah. not a new thing. It's mm. Samuel Colt invented the firearm and mm. or he invented the handgun in 1840, whatever. And it's, they're still pretty much the same. Like yeah. they're really not that much different. And it's like, it's, it, they're fully mechanical devices. Mm-hmm. Most people, if you, you watch a YouTube video, you can take your entire firearm apart into 150 pieces and put it all back together and it's really not that hard so i don't understand why you couldn't have a special firing pin with a special round that's made you know specially designed if you look at it you know okay that is a hollywood round that is a that is a whatever round that's it's going to give you some smoke or a little bit of Mm. uh you know, explosion, but there's no projectile. Yeah. It's almost impossible mm-hmm. unless someone's standing in directly like inches in front of it. That's the only way you could get like burned or something. You know? Right. I, I just can't believe that doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I, I do yeah. think, but th- thinking to the whole, you know, the whole rule of you always check a firearm mm-hmm. when you pick it up before you do anything with it. Um, if they're using dummy rounds, a dummy round for a movie has to look exactly like a real round. Right, yeah. So even if you opened the chamber and looked, you would say, okay, well, there's rounds in here, but there's right. supposed to be rounds in here, and it looks exactly like a real round. That makes me yeah. nervous, but it's a fake one. I'm not, it's right. it's not a real round. I'm good to go. It's fine, right? Which, yeah, that's why, like, that headline about that is so alarming about they were using that gun for just live target practice and the downtime and everything. Like, that is just unbelievably that is so just... negligent. Yeah, a- incredible, like, incredibly negligent. Yeah. I... I will tell a story that I have never told on the podcast. <laughs> I oh, wow, yeah. This is so this was oh yeah, this is bad. Um <laughs> uh yeah, I won't go into much detail, but it was like it was it was like right like the night before like my like 14th birthday I think or something. <laughs> um no, 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 it was later. I think it was like 15 or 16. But um we had a BB gun. And, uh, we, we had a BB gun and my parents were, were away, me and my sister and my friend, we were kind of, uh, yeah. Wow. When, oh, wow. This is, yeah. Anyway, um, we were, you know, we were planning on like going to, uh, like going to like Barnes and Noble or something cause we were super cool. <laughs> uh, but my sister was taking, was, was, this is dating everything, but, uh, my sister was hogging the desktop computer in the living room, uh, and using AOL instant messenger and wouldn't get off the internet so that we could go to Barnes and Noble and everything. <laughs> so I took the BB gun and I would like scare her again. I'm a kid. Mm-hmm. Scare her by like firing it without having the BB in it and everything. Yeah. And then at some point, I had forgotten that I went ahead and loaded uh, loaded a BB there to keep it to keep it aside or whatever. Mm-hmm. Kid logic. Um. And then I fired it, and then like she got very quiet, 
And then I thought she was kidding for the longest time. Yeah. But I shot my sister in the ear with a BB gun. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. So, wow. yeah. Learn. It can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so, I don't know what the point was of that. Just that. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's just like that. Like that. That isn't like my. I'm not a gun person at all or anything. But that's mm. that's not like my origin story of anything. Of like this is why I'm adamant about gun safety or anything or anti-gun. <laughs> anything like that. Right. But. I'm also like very conscious of like, yes, any time like there is not a single a, there there is not a single situation where a person should have a firearm in their hand and imagine that it is not loaded or think that it is not right, loaded. Right. Every single time someone handles a gun, they need to be working under the assumption that that gun is loaded and can kill, can do the thing that it is manufactured to do. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and I get so irate and upset and angry when people like, like I'm going to generalize people, but uh, just like, dipshit uh hillbilly people um that yeah. train like they fight um it's <laughs> <laughs> an inside joke inside joke about this guy that tiny and i used to work with um <laughs> but um <laughs> anyway anytime that they're like i i get being a gun enthusiast i get that that's a hobby i understand that mm-hmm. i i respect like that but the responsibility that that has with it is that like, if you're going to fucking talk about the Second Amendment and everything and all that and, like, no, don't take your guns away, fucking be an adult and use the gun the way it's supposed to be used. Right. That's a tangent. That's a – it probably really has nothing to do with this except that uh, that a person was handed a gun for rehearsal, told that it wasn't, wasn't loaded, and it had something in it, and now a person is dead. Right. Um. So, yeah. So, that's just my PSA. If you're – if you, if uh, I'm trying to think of another ref, another inside joke reference that I can make off the cuff, but I can't. <laughs> uh, but if you train like you fight and you have guns and everything, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just don't like it. It is a loaded gun, right? No matter mm-hmm. the situation. Yeah, it's like the easiest fucking thing you can. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so so yeah. Final thing yeah. that I'll say mm-hmm. about it: it's ironic that this happened like as the uh, like labor union or whatever, yeah. whatever union it, that IATSE. announced a strike. Yeah, mm. yeah, and I think that that is also be- what some what a lot of the tensions were involved with and everything. Oh, yeah, it okay. could be. So pretty because pretty of like unsafe, not necessarily mm-hmm. unsafe, but unfair working yeah. conditions. Yeah, like yeah. working like ten or twelve hour days mm-hmm. or something. Right. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. I think it also and, uh, just to add to. Mm-hmm. Your point about safety and everything, I think it it demonstrates um, two things. Mm-hmm. One, this kind of thing actually happens all the time. Right, yeah. What you were just talking yeah. about. It just happens in someone's house mm-hmm. with people just being unsafe. And yeah. There's a lot of gun deaths that happen because people are just stupid and unsafe. Every, and, every time I read like a headline, I, like, I want to, like I want to just like share it and everything and just right. go on a tangent and everything. But yeah. Yeah. So I used to have. I used to be an NRA member, and mm-hmm. I stopped giving them my money a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But Good. With, with that, <laughs> with that, you get a subscription to their magazine, American mm-hmm. Rifleman, which is actually a pretty interesting. Uh, if you're into guns, it's it's actually an interesting thing. But sure. uh, in the first ten pages or so of every article or of every uh, issue, 
they would have, uh, I think it was called, and so much of it was over the top and silly, but they had this section, I think it was called the Armed American, and it was basically just all these stories of, since the last issue, of someone using their firearms in personal defense. Yeah. Oh, God. And, it, you know, it was a thing of, like, celebrating all, you know, like, this is why we have guns, and this person defended <sighs> their, their home and their family with their mm. firearm, and I would always read them, and I'm like, Jesus. Um, <laughs> But I was like, why don't you have on the other page how many people were accidentally killed by firearms <laughs> right. because they're yeah, being really. unsafe? And yeah. Uh-huh. I was like, where's that page at? Like, I want to see those. Um, and then secondly, I think it demonstrates – I don't know what kind of firearm was used. This Is a, is it a period piece, Western? I believe it's a period piece. It's a Western. Okay. I think it was a revolver. It's got to be a revolver. Like like one that you have to like self-cop. Yeah, like yeah. a single action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, second thing is it demonstrates – how powerful firearms are. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a controlled environment where there wasn't supposed to be, um, you know, it uh, wasn't supposed to be a true live round in that firearm. And with one round, I assume mm-hmm. this woman was killed. She got shot once. Yeah. And she's dead now. Like we can, you know, there's these crazy stories about rappers getting shot. You know, 50 mm-hmm. Cent was shot nine times and he's yeah, still alive. Right. And I think DaBaby, a recent rapper, was shot multiple mm-hmm. times and he's still alive. And we, we sort of glorify it. You see yeah. In movies, you see a, a magazine get dumped mm-hmm. in 10 seconds and he only – like no one gets hit. And yeah. It's one round. All it takes is one tiny round mm-hmm. and it you know you get hit in the chest or the stomach and you're like, oh, it's not a big deal. People yeah. survive that all the time. It, it's like, no, you will die from yeah. that. It's like it, you can totally die. It's oh, yeah. Serious thing. Like – and I think that – I mean that's indicative of fucking America and everything. Right. But yeah. also media portraying gun gun violence and everything. It's the mm-hmm. same as like any – like anything really. But I think that there's such a fetishiza- fetishization and yeah. romanticism for gun culture and, totally. and firearms and everything. So like when you see like those big action scenes or whatever where like, oh, you know – Oh, oh, God, I just, it just, it just nicked me. It's fine and everything. It's like, okay, right. well, also, you know, it tore through your body <laughs> and like, you don't, like, I, is there an exit wound? Um, <laughs> shout out to the Steven Seagal and DMX movie, exit wounds. Um, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but like, it's, it's not like, oh, it's just, I just got, you know, it's just, it got, like, it got, I got hit and everything, but I can keep going. Like, it's that machismo kind of thing, but it's mm-hmm. also like, Okay, well, in reality, that is a traumatic thing that has happened. Like in in the actual death, like it's a trauma uh, to your body that, like, when you, just to go to, like, if you go to the ER and everything, it's like it's not like a, oh, let's just patch them up and everything. It's like okay, right. did the shrapnel like did it break apart in the body? Is it did it nick an artery or anything? Mm-hmm. Is it going to it, it, did it go through any of the organs or any like it is right. it is a it is a trauma to to your body. And everything it can, it um, can give if you, even if you survive, yeah, a shot, a gunshot, like you're saying, you can have lifelong ailments from. Oh, it. Oh, absolutely, it is a destructive force. Yeah, um, but fortunately, we have the people in this country who are fighting to make sure that people can take those weapons into fucking schools. And <laughs> right, I've, it's all about mental yeah. health. <laughs> it's yeah. all about mental health. Uh, but uh, yeah, but I, you know, uh, the world. <laughs> what movie has no guns in it? Denny Villeneuve's yes. Dune. But before we get to that, I do have another rant <laughs> that I want to go on. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing, the other side of all of this with the Rust thing, and I promise we will get into our review and everything, is that I I have ranted and raved 
on Patreon, on the main feed and everything, just my like political positions and everything, mm-hmm. especially with the uh, rise of the pandemic and the rise of just absolute, just moronic behavior for people that are emboldened to be to emboldened to be uninformed, emboldened to be, uh, you know, proud to not be informed and everything, despite all the research. They Treat do. every cough like it's COVID. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good <laughs> it's not a bad idea no know. it's not um but yeah but the thing that i i came back to after this tragedy happened is like my my whole thing was that i was going to share a bunch of screenshots and be like well it's really it's really good i mean and all things considered it's a relief that like all of the you know maga folk um have uh are na- are using this hor- horrific thing as a way to amplify like gun safety protocols and talk about gun safety and everything no that's <laughs> not what they did right because because Alec Baldwin um what you mean they didn't uh admit the error of their ways no <laughs> and look at things from a different angle nope because Alec Baldwin uh, mocked their messiah on SNL and everything, oh, yeah. the the uh, the term manslaughter was was uh, was trending on Twitter, <laughs> completely baseless, yeah. and everything. And then uh, Alec Baldwin tweeted tweeted like his statement saying that I only have partial of it, but it's like there are no words to convey my shock and sadness regarding the tragic accident that took the life of uh, Helena Hutchins, a wife, mother, and and then the rest of it's like her credentials and everything, right. Um, but I'm going to read some just shitbag responses. First, J.D. Vance. I don't know who that is. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, God. He's, <laughs> yep. He's who, uh, the, the movie Hillbilly Elegy was based on. Yes. He wrote it too, and, didn't he? Or did uh, he? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, he's running for Congress. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or, um, I think he is. I, I think so too. Yes. Because, and then, uh, to, preface this uh his uh twitter profile is um it said like make sure to say that he's christian and everything Mm -hmm. and so this is what this very good christian man said dear at jack on twitter let trump back on we need alec baldwin tweets (laughs) this is 12 hours after the news broke everything but um but alec baldwin tweeted his his statement and everything um and i'm just gonna read some very very well thought out retweets that that people said uh you should be arrested charged and thrown no i'm sorry you should be arrested charged and thrown in jail for the rest of your life you are a murderer and a criminal by the way these are likely the same people that are applauding um you know the insurrection the insurrection and the uh the martyr for the cause of uh i don't even remember the shithead's name um the kid um Oh, the, um, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse, the yeah. Kid yeah. In Milwaukee or Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. The guy who, the, 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 the guy child. Who, yeah, the, the child. child who yeah. crossed state lines and then killed two people. Yeah. Um, yeah, because he was protecting property that wasn't his own, but right. whatever. And then a very charming person who, uh, has the, it, this isn't his Twitter username, although his username does have 1911 in it. So, you know, mm, yeah. but his display name is Arizona in all caps, but the INZ are a one in five. Oh. So AR-15 Ona. 
Oh my Ew. god. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just I like I want to troll that person and just be like, you know, I I I think all assault rifles should be banned. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not assault rifles. Anyway. He says, Well you're right right about one thing. You're definitely a tragic accident that took someone's life. <laughs> and uh and then someone else said, Then why did you shoot her? Um Yeah. And then uh, I'm not going to read anymore, but there was also this, this is the thing that kind of gets, um, this is the thing that kind of gets, uh, this is what's been kind of amplified in, in some circles that I've seen. And I saw this on a friend's Facebook post. I was going to comment on it because I was just irate, but when this happened, there was a lot of people doing what people do best on the internet and pretend that they know everything about what happened. And they uh, just feel like commenting on it with their own knowledge that they have no basis for. Mm-hmm. Um, see all of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so this guy, this douchebag uh, said, and again, this is showing a complete lack of knowledge and a complete lack of um, remorse or a complete lack of empathy or anything. Um, and it's showing a lack of understanding about everything. But this comment was, Alec... Oh, wait, hang on. Alec is known for having a really bad temper and anger outbursts. One shot could could be considered accidental, but if he recocked the single-action pistol and pointed it at a second person and it accidentally discharged a second time, I think he might have a lot of explaining to do. It's like, first of all, you don't know how, how you know, uh, like, you know, movie-making works, clearly. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, and... Just like the idea that someone it's it's this idea that a certain type of person who should probably um should probably divulge their whereabouts on January sixth um <laughs> act under this idea that everyone thinks the same way that they do mm-hmm. or should think the same way that they do, and in doing that. They're showing their hand of what just monstrous, shitty people they are. Because, like, this person is like, oh, okay, Alec Baldwin has been angry before. I'm angry. I'm angry all the time because I'm white and I don't have a voice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just made a gym face um, <laughs> from the office. But, uh, but no, uh, I'm, I'm angry. And when I'm angry, I want to kill people and everything. So that means that anyone who's angry is going to have the same knee-jerk reaction or they are going to be prone to violence. So like, oh, someone's angry. So that means that he must have intentionally like shot someone. Right. It's like, wh- like what fucking world do you live in? That is a ridiculous conclusion. Yeah. Aside oh. from living in yeah. America where this shit happens. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway. Jesus. Dune? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to play the sound bit, but yeah. So yeah, Dune. Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to do a non-spoiler review. <laughs> By the way, uh, let us know what you think about all this, I guess. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very it's a very tragic uh, tragic accident and I I really hope that it um, leads to much better, you know, handling of this type of thing and it and i, I don't know i i i don't know it and it's just tragedy um my uh you know my thoughts go out to the family of uh of the cinematographer that mm-hmm. name is on my phone 
Um, okay, so we're going to go into our review of Dune. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're going to first do a non-spoiler and then a spoiler review. And then, uh, and then we'll, you know, uh, we'll prompt you with a clip from the trailer for the spoiler review. Okay, so Dune was really, well, was the date of release? No, October 22nd? 22nd? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, the plot summary, courtesy of IMDb, his feature adaptation of Frank Herbert's science fiction novel about the son of a noble family entrusted with the protection of the most valuable asset and most vital element in the galaxy. Um, okay, so Dune is uh, co-written and directed and produced by Denis Villeneuve, uh, also co-written by John Spites. And uh, Eric Roth, uh, with obviously based on Frank Herbert's novel, and its stars Timothy Chalamet as Paul Atreides, uh, Rebecca Ferguson as Lady Jessica Atreides, uh, Zendaya as Chani, uh, Oscar Isaac as Duke Leto uh, Atreides, Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho, and Stellan Skarsgård as Baron uh baron harkonnen the the harkonnen guy um (laughs) so uh this has been one of one of our collective um most anticipated movies for two years now Mm -hmm. um it was originally supposed to come out last year and then got pushed because of the pandemic um to this year and has finally saw its release. It um, has a rele- uh, um, hybrid HBO Max and theatrical release. It is currently in theaters and it will be on HBO Max until my app loads. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but it is in theaters now. And I recommend, you know, IMAX and everything if you're, um, if you're comfortable. But uh, it is in on HBO Max until... Um, November 21st. So, okay. <clears throat> okay. And just to say, I will be probably having a commentary track on it, um, at the Patreon, uh, level of $5 or more. So that should be coming soon. In the meantime, if you want to check out my Halloween kills commentary track, it's up there now. But anyway, where I get a call in from a new coworker that that was a lot of fun. <laughs> nice. So, um, okay. So Dune. You guys are more invested in the source material. I've read the first book a couple of times, and I read Dune Messiah once, and then started Children of Dune, and then just wasn't in the right headspace or anything, so I just kind of gave up. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, but I am a, a Denis Villeneuve fan, fan, um, fan, fan, <laughs> and was very much looking forward to, obviously, you know, science fiction, Denis Villeneuve, and, you know, moving pictures on a screen <laughs> um what is you what is your guys's histories with dune and frank herbert and denny villeneuve well it all it all started on a stormy cold <laughs> january night 1987 when no, i'm kidding um <laughs> i read the first book uh for the first time like 10-ish years ago eight or 10 years ago mm. uh and really really liked it a lot i think i just kind of read it on a whim Nice. Uh, for no particular reason and really enjoyed it. Um, I got like a secondhand physical copy from uh, Half Price Books and read it that way. Um, really liked it, thought it was awesome. And then I've read it twice more since then. But it was like two years ago I, I, I did the audio book. Um, so it's it's not as fresh in my mind as I want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I really kind of fell in love with that first book. Um, mm-hmm. I read um, 
the second one, which is Dune Messiah. Is that yeah. what it's called? Yeah. I've only read that the one time and I wasn't mm-hmm. as into it. Um, it was okay, but I need to need to give it another shot. But uh, yeah, that's my history with the source material. Um, nice. And I love Denis Villeneuve as well. I mean, like I, I, if I had to pick a writer, director, producer to do this, number one spot would have been mm-hmm. Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. So nice. I mean, this was ideal. I was so thrilled to have him get this. Yeah. Nice. Ben, how about your history? Um, I had no history with it, uh, but I read the, or I listened to the audiobook. It was like one of the first things that I listened to, uh, at the start of the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. and I could not imagine trying to read the book like c- current day because oh, yeah. it, like I would still be reading the first book. <laughs> um, even if I had started it last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I listened to the first book, really enjoyed it. Um, and then I listened to the other five Frank Herbert books uh, right. quickly after. Wow. And uh, yeah, <laughs> Dune Messiah is good. Children of Dune, a little less good. And then from there, it just kind of falls off a cliff. So yeah, Matt, okay. I don't blame you from jumping off where you did yeah and uh, I, I had this whole ridiculous plan where i was going to do like a patreon episode that covers all the books and then mm. we were going to talk about each one we we're going to do like <laughs> reviews of the david lynch movie the mini series and yeah. hodorowsky's dune and everything and then after when starting children of dune i was like i i i just can't i just can't <laughs> yeah. uh yeah right yeah and the Especially at books four through six, they just get weirder and weirder mm-hmm. and weirder. Yeah. Um, and like we'll we'll talk about this in a little bit more. Uh, but Frank Herbert just has this way of writing that is so it's it's cool, but it's really hard to follow sometimes, yeah. especially some of his yeah. like more heady ideas and more uh it's not all straightforward action. Right. Um, so a good uh, amount of the action is off page. Like it's not even in it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so I, I love the way that Danny Villeneuve, uh, portrayed this because mm-hmm. if, if someone, even if they were to give me, you know, a hundred million dollars or whatever he got, I, I don't think I could do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, I I was really pleased with how everything came out. Um, nice. Yeah. Nice. And yeah, I, I agree 100%. I love Denny Villeneuve, the movies that I've seen of his. Mm. Um, I don't, I need to rewatch Arrival because I haven't seen it since that Oscar yeah. year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I remember loving it. And then... Maybe you guys can answer this as well, but I I don't know if I would put this or Blade Runner 2049 as my favorite of his. Hmm. Yeah. I'd have to rewatch Blade Runner. I haven't seen it in a while, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, I think it would be this. <laughs> for, I, yeah. And I respect that for me, Blade Runner all the way. Sure. Through yeah. and through. I, I yeah. adore, adore that movie. And yeah. one of the things I find really interesting about Dune is that this is, this is Denny Villeneuve's passion project Mm -hmm. yes he has been a massive fan of dune he has wanted to make this movie for years and he has said i don't remember where i read it but he said somewhere that uh 
he basically I, I think it was on, on like IMDb trivia or something, but it was like uh, he was like, I kind of saw like, you know, making a rival in Blade Runner 2049 as kind of like, you know, uh, like practice for right. making Dune. Yeah. And I'm like, this guy, <laughs> <laughs> the audacity right. to make two of the best <laughs> science fiction films of like the last decade, mm-hmm. uh, one of which being a sequel to one of like the most uh celebrated and and uh, claimed uh science fiction films mm-hmm. um uh, all of that as just like proof of concept for dune is right. like insane <laughs> to me like the balls on this guy <laughs> yeah um and the fact that those movies are just i mean mm-hmm. just i mean they're they're amazing I, and i do need to watch arrival again but uh, he just has this uh, emotional core to his movies that I just really yeah, love. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not sci-fi, but Prisoners is a very underappreciated movie. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Definitely watch that oh, one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Visually mm-hmm. incredible. Okay. Yeah. Good movie. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Denis Den- Villeneuve is good. Um, mm-hmm. I Let's see. So, Ben, you said your kind of uh, opening remarks. Tiny, how did you feel about Dune? Um for those who haven't listened to our parking lot special at the five dollar yeah, level, which can't be anybody, right? Everybody listened to that right, shit. Everybody did. <laughs> I know exactly how many people have access to it, guys. Um. <laughs> nice. uh, no, for me, it was absolutely fantastic. Hit it out of the park, nailed it perfectly. Um, I, ben and I were just talking off mic. I would have mm-hmm. watched a four-hour version of this movie, hands down. Wow, no problem, and probably been happy with it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think it, it hit every visual cue out of the park. Um, I think the character stuff was all either fantastic or good. Um, we can, we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. Great performances. Um, every, every, every little detail was on point in my opinion. So nice. Yep. Yeah. I, I have a, an interesting history with this movie <laughs> um, in the, what i mean 10 days it's like uh, for five days it, or, yeah oh, that's right you saw five, it for the first time yeah a couple yeah weeks ago. yeah yeah so uh i went to a screening of it um on the 12th and it was like i don't know i wrote a review of it and i feel like maybe that review wasn't my best written review <laughs> by any stretch but um i kind of had some some light complaints or issues with it particularly i felt like the character of paul atreides was not given due diligence in or like given his due in this installment in this movie because it had to contend with introducing so much lore introducing this dense mythology and everything and the world and galaxy and the empire and everything that i kind of felt like the arc of paul atreides left a little bit to be desired um because of the structure of the movie basically and so that was my first viewing of it and i still feel somewhat that way But I will say that I came around to it quite a bit more on my second viewing, particularly particularly because I knew like the I knew the structure. I knew what he was going for in this movie. It's no it's obviously (laughs) no secret. It's Dune Part One. It opens as Dune Part One. They just today announced that they've greenlit greenlit Dune Part Two, Dune and Duner Um, (laughs) and uh uh yeah and so that's coming out uh october 20th 2023 so by design this movie is the first installment 
And my kind of big issue with it is that for all of the good in the movie, for all of the great, great stuff that Denis Villeneuve did with this, it still felt to me, and again, this feeling is diminished quite a bit uh, upon my second viewing because I know I know it going in, but it still feels like it is too much of a part of the story. And it doesn't tell a conclusive or it doesn't tell like a big character arc for Paul Atreides in particular. Mm-hmm. And I felt like on my second viewing of it, and I'm sure I'll feel that way when I do, I'll, fe- I'll feel better about it when I do it for the pay- for the Patreon commentary. But I kind of felt like, okay, I'm, I'm getting, I'm on board with it more. I'm a little, I'm, I'm better with it. I, I'm, I'm on board with it. So, so yeah, I don't know, but that's my, that's my main criticism but in terms of praise for this movie, I do think that Denis Villeneuve did a endlessly impressive job of taking the the dense world building and mythology and everything of Dune, of Frank Herbert's Dune, and presenting it to the audience and in, in doing it in such a way that it is so, like, natural. And it makes makes sense and everything. Mm-hmm. It is very palatable. It is very accessible. It 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 does such a great job of just demonstrating like and, and introducing us to to the world. Um. So yeah. So uh, feather in the cap of that. And uh, and I said this on the parking lot special on Patreon, but I mean Jason Momoa, man, mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. dude. Like all I kept thinking that second time around was this guy is a gift to the movie industry (laughs) like he is he is like a uh i mean he's he's a movie star like he's like a he's like a movie star like action star physique guy Mm -hmm. but he is able to to do like very good uh you know not not even really comedic but amiableness and like he has a very a very natural quality to him and very personable and everything. So I don't know. I just, I, I really like Jason Momoa and I think the rest of the cast did a good job. Totally. So I just want to high five him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so let's dig in what, like in non spoilers, what did you guys think of Dune part one? You know, I, uh, I will echo what both of you guys have said. I think this is a fantastic movie. One of the year's best. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, one that we just have not seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, just big popcorn movies that play the best in a theater on a big screen. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, are for audience of just about at any age, any, all four quadrants, basically. Mm-hmm. Maybe not a kid's movie, but, <laughs> you know. Um, and... Uh, Matt, I will kind of agree with you mm-hmm. uh, with your first viewing that like one of the main uh, uh, criticisms that I have heard is that mm-hmm. the it, it's a little emotionally like cold. Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can kind of get on board with that, um, especially like with, say, uh, Rebecca Ferguson's character. Mm-hmm. Um but I think there's enough otherwise to make up for that, that it's still just, it's great. Uh, it's, it's a, a great, 
uh, visualization of the char- the hero's journey. You know? Yeah, right. Um, and uh, it's it's uh, and yeah, and just every other aspect of it as well. You know, visual effects, mm-hmm. score, cinematography, production design, performances, directing, uh, costumes. Yes. Uh, hair and makeup, Mm -hmm. um, creepy black leather spider people, uh, uh, oily goop, um, just all of it, uh, all worth recommending. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. And and I also mm -hmm. agree to to bounce off what Matt said, I think, because I am going to praise it a lot, but, uh, I echo your criticisms. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, um... I don't think it was maybe necessarily the best interpretation or the best written version of Paul Atreides. I think mm-hmm. I think there could have been more there. Um, and I also think the structure was one of the weaker points because uh, it's it's half the book, it's half yeah. half the story yeah. of the first book, and it you know it kind of has that. I felt sort of the same way as when I saw Lord of the Rings: Fellowship of the Ring mm-hmm. for the first time. I was like, oh, they. It's kind of stopped. Like they're they're just kind of walking, and it's like, okay, see, ya, we'll see you next time. Um, it was so that was a little off putting, but I was just so thrilled with everything that led up to that that it kind of it was softened a lot by mm-hmm. that. But um, yeah. I think um, I, I I'm not I'm not going to count it as a major criticism against it for what they did with the character of Paul. You know, I think I think it demonstrated him really well as like a. You know, he's he's supposed to be a fifteen-year-old boy, right? In this in this story, and he very much feels boyish and mm-hmm. and experienced and um imperfect, um yeah. at least all the way up until the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I, th- I think that was fine. Um, the criticism about the coldness, I think, is an interesting point, but I think it's I think it speaks to the character of Lady Jessica because there's several moments where she's interacting with Paul and um, she's like hanging on every word he's saying. Like when he's talking about going through some of these experiences for the first time, experiencing spice for the first time and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. she's hanging on every word he's saying and she's so into it. And I think that's sort of the audience might misinterpret that maybe as like a mother's love because really I think it's just kind of her being sort of being a little selfish because she's, Mm -hmm. she's hoping that she has, you know, given birth to the Quetzalcaterok, that he's right. the one, right? That's what she's thinking. And that's <clears throat> that's her true motivation for those emotions. And I think that's something subtle that, you know, they kind of conveyed in the movie. I assume that was intentional because, mm-hmm. again, her acting was great and it, it it looked like a mother's love, but really, um, and there's that great conversation with her and um, Leto Atreides. It's one of the few conversations they have together in the right. whole movie. They have very yeah. little interaction. Yeah. Um, they talk about it and he's, you know, he's saying... I, I don't want you to, to make this promise to me as his mother. I'm talking to the mm-hmm. Benny Gesserit right now. I'm yeah. talking to them. I'm not talking to his mother. And that was such an important distinction. And um, I'm glad those things were included. Um, yeah. But, but I, I think that, I think that coldness that people may have picked up on was a choice. And it was, I, th- I think it maybe long-term it could be effective and it's, I, I think it makes sense, I guess. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like part of that criticism is also just a Denny Villeneuve thing. Um, yeah, that's true. Because he kind of has a history of just mm-hmm. having a cold kind of right. uh, cold tone to the emotional uh, characters that he has. Like Amy Adams in Arrival. 
Uh, yeah, or yeah. Just kind of a right. cool Gosling and yeah, uh, right. Blade Runner. Yeah, which that is my biggest. That's the biggest thing that I had a comparison to in my mind with this movie is Paul Atreides and K from Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I'm not going to spoil Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I will say watch that movie because it is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. But the character arc of K in Blade Runner twenty forty nine is, I mean, like 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 you said, it's it's um, with Dune. It is it is the hero's journey everything like that that's what it is um the thing that i really tapped into with the book is the myth building the myth building of what paul atreides will become um and that's something that i kind of wish would have been a little clearer in the movie because they they the book is structured in such a way that each section is introduced by excerpts from like writings about the life of paul atreides after he's you know after he has completed his hero's journey. Right. Yeah. And so the movie doesn't do anything with that at all, mm-hmm. which is fine. But I also kind of feel like that would have been better to to really kind of solidify the character growth of Paul Atreides in this installment. But my whole point is that to compare it to Blade Runner 2049, K's character arc in that is he is a person who he he is a character who doesn't know his place in in the world. He believes he he is led to believe that he serves a very distinct purpose, and that is what that is why I think Blade Runner twenty forty nine is Denis Villeneuve's best movie of the ones that I've seen, mm-hmm. and it's why it's one of my favorite movies of recent years because that character arc that the way that it plays out the way that the story surrounds itself with that character arc is so fascinating to me, and I find that to be so rich in terms of characterization. Now with Dune, we have, from my perspective, it's a little bit unbalanced in the way that it focuses on Paul Atreides as a character. And that's because it's contending with so many different things. Again, this was lessened for me. This was, this was not a big point of contention for me when I watched it the second time. But that first time, all I thought was like, okay, we have a very intricately written character we have a complex character who he is a he's a child who is going to go across state lines to defend i'm sorry um no (laughs) he's a complex character who is being pulled in so many different directions he is the heir to house atreides he discovers that he is potentially the quasats for the bene Gesserit, the chosen one um uh, Darth Vader is his father. Um, no, um, <laughs> um, but anyway, no, he like he is someone who has all of these things, and then above all else, he's having these visions on of Arrakis and of Ch- uh, Chani, and he's he's seeing himself leading the Fremen, and and all, like he's seeing these visions and everything, and we get a lot of that in the movie. But I feel like it's not a continuous thing through the movie because we get one scene with him and Duke Leto where they're t- it's a father and son scene. It's a, a fantastic scene. I mean, mm-hmm. we have freaking Timothy Chalamet and Oscar Isaac talking about like the dynasty of House Atreides and, and the the power of like like the weight of the of the of leading the house and everything like that's very good stuff. But we get one scene of that. And then we get a scene with Lady Jessica, like basically spelling out like, oh, hey, by the way, you know, some of the Bene Gesserit think that the Quasar Tarek, um, 
I'm just mumbling through that because I don't know how to pronounce it's a it. literal gibberish word. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, he, that, like, some people think that he's here, so, you know, I don't know. <laughs> right. I could have made him. I could have made him. <laughs> right. But, yeah, and so, like, I felt like going out of the, uh, out of the movie, the first viewing, I felt a little cold with that because then the movie tries to create this, clo- not closure, but this, uh, this, this, I don't know, closure, I guess, to the character arc for this installment that I just feel like does not, is not as big a payoff as it should be if they're focusing on the different, you know, ways that he's being pulled in different directions. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, so that, that was my kind of biggest issue with it. And, um, yeah, and I still kind of feel that way. I do feel, I'll talk a little bit more in spoilers about it, but I did, I did feel a little bit better. But it still, I think, is is the biggest uh, weakness to the movie is the the characterization of of Paul Atreides and uh, how that plays out. So that's yeah. totally warranted, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so I talk. You you, you talk now, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did what did yeah what, yeah yeah Ben? What did you since Matt and I talked about it already? What did you think of like the visuals and everything? Or mm-hmm. What jumped uh, out? Once jumped out to you visually, I guess. Yes. Uh, it looks amazing. Um, obviously, uh. Unfortunately, I did not get a chance to see this in the theater. Um, oh, yeah, so what happened there? <laughs> well, um, so I am a cheap ass. And, uh, <laughs> uh, By the I'll, way, I need to give you your money. I don't have cash, but I'll get it to you. Yeah, that's, that's right. Don't break my legs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, uh, instead of watching it uh in in IMAX or in the theater, which follow up question for you guys when I'm done talking. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, instead, I watched the uh, Agnes Varda 1991 movie Jacques de Nance. Oh, which, okay. Uh, we we really should be talking about tonight, but sure, I'll, sure. I'll f- let it slide for now. <laughs> um, but uh, I did. Fortunately, I was able to watch it on my 4K TV, and. Uh, I know what you guys are thinking. Couldn't, w- would you be able to listen to that after your kids go to bed without, uh, <laughs> while still being able to hear it? <laughs> and the answer is yes. I okay. was able to, uh, use the Bluetooth on my TV and hook it up to my headphones. Oh, and, nice. And listen to it that way. Nice. So, no worries there. Awesome. Everyone was able to sleep while I watched it. Good move. Nice. <laughs> I was gonna jokingly say when you said when you said that you watched it at home, I was gonna be like, "Oh, just like Denny Villeneuve intended." Yeah, <laughs> but no, also, I, I mean, having the sound completely contained within your ears—that also kind of right. You know. But yeah, there there are definitely scenes when I I wished that I could have been seeing it in IMAX or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there are some incredible scenes that looked great on my TV, but it I just know that it would have looked even better. Yeah. Uh, and yes, I, I realize that I am part of the problem. Um, <laughs> and if, uh, well, I guess now I don't have to worry about uh, part two getting greenlit because right. of me. <laughs> um, but if anyone wants to uh, ensure that I see it in IMAX, Venmo, Ben Sears 87. <laughs> nice. um, but uh, so I, I, my question for you guys, you both have seen this twice, both in different 
environments. Mm-hmm. Matt, you saw it what on a regular screen and yes. IMAX. I saw it. Uh, I saw it at the State Museum IMAX for the second one. The first time I saw it was at uh, was it was in a, Glendale, a, a normie theater, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> standard def- uh, standard normie. definition. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Tiny, you saw it in IMAX and at home. Yeah, I saw it on True IMAX and then at home on HBO Max. Okay, nice. So, tell me, tell me about the the differences in those experiences. Uh, do you want me to go first? Yeah, sure. Okay, so with me, I I will say another potential criticism for the movie um, is that I feel like there were certain scenes that in that first viewing in the theater, I thought like is the projector off? Like, did they mess with the projection or something? Hmm. Because there was a, it was very dark, like very, very dark in some scenes. There there was, uh, one of the podcasts that I listened Mm. to said that exact same thing. Wow. Yeah. It was the obsessive viewer podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But no, yeah, it just seemed very, very dark. And that's something that, um, I can't remember who, this wasn't a Roger Deakins one. No. Uh, no, it was someone else, but it also just, I don't know if that's I, I don't know I don't know what's to account for that, but I did feel like there was a lot of darkness in in the lighting that just was like like bad darkness. <laughs> um, mm. And I kind of semi confirmed that, although it was a little bit better in IMAX, but it also still felt a little bit you know whatever. So I'm curious what it'll look like when I watch it like on my phone uh, in five minute increments uh at work um <laughs> with just my as, phone speakers just as Johnny exactly <laughs> yes um but yeah but that that is one downside but i will say that i'm gonna see this in the theater again specifically because i want to see it in dolby in a dolby theater yeah. at amc because specifically because one of the, the visual effects are incredible like there's no denying that it it looks incredible mm-hmm. the way that the way that they just created and and visualized arrakis and the sandworm and all of that like visually it is just stunning i, I also just like had just a freaking just massive grin on my face whenever they did like the the combat scenes with the shields and stuff i yes. thought that just looked so freaking cool mm-hmm. yeah um but the reason I I don't I, like I'm not going to see it in Dolby because of those reasons. That's going to be a big part of it. But another thing is I want to see this in the theater as many times as I can because the sound design is insanely good, mm-hmm. insanely cool. Like there are little things here and there. Like the uh, yeah, my my drain is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what that what it just gurgles. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, anyway. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, the sound design is incredible. There are scenes like with the, with the sandworm, like the, just the sound of it and seeing the stature of it and the sound of the just inner workings of it is like, oh, this is, this is, this is, uh, uh, this is pure cinema. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, uh, that and then like there are scenes with the Baron, uh, like eating and it's just like the breathing and the eating and the sound of just like lip smacking. Yes. It is. It is like, it is the most just disturbing. There's a disturbing nature to it. And it's Mm -hmm. because the soundtrack is so prevalent with that. And then the third example is there's i I'm not going to give the context of it or anything, but there is a vat of like 
crude oil like substance that's mm-hmm. a, like it's it's just a scene with that and just the <laughs> the gurgling like my sink just did that i don't think the mic will mic picked up but <laughs> the the gurgling nature of it just the thickness of the sound of it it's like there is so much care taken and attention to detail in the sound mix that i i can't wait to see it in a dolby theater um yeah so nice. um yeah so that was my experience in the theater i loved seeing it in imax and everything um yeah it was it was great um yeah, yeah and I'll, I'll echo some of that I, mm-hmm. I i was worried about how the visuals would translate to like at home viewing on, mm-hmm. on the big screen tv and i think honestly I, I there was they held up really well to home to a home viewing nice. you know, on, on a TV really well. That's um, what I'm kind of curious about with the the darkness of it because right. And I was going to speak yeah. to that because okay. I I in our parking lot special I kind of disagreed mm-hmm. with you. I didn't mm-hmm. in that experience in the IMAX theater. I nothing seemed too dark to me. It right. all looked great. I thought it was. I didn't have that experience at all. Mm-hmm. But at home there was one scene in particular. I don't want to spoil it, but okay. it involved a sandworm and mm-hmm. it's very dark. Um, like we were watching it and. My wife, Paige, was like, I, I have no clue what's going on right now. Oh, interesting. Um, thankfully, it's only about 10 or 15 seconds long. Mm-hmm. It's not a big part of the movie. But, you know, she she was like, I, I can't see anything right now. And I couldn't either. And I knew what was going on. I was like, yeah, this looks almost like a black screen. Huh. Um, and interesting. that was unfortunate. Um, but the other moments I was worried about were fine uh, okay. visually. But I'll say as far as IMAX versus home viewing or whatever – the biggest aspect was sound. Mm-hmm. Um, the IMAX theater, everything boomed and yeah. echoed and is so focused. And uh, the sound mixing is Oscar worthy. Mm-hmm. The score and soundtrack are Oscar worthy. Yeah. Um, visual effects. Right. Mm-hmm. If, if this yeah. doesn't get a visual effects nomination, I'll be Oh, mad. yeah. Me too. Oh, yeah. Me too, for sure. Um, but th- that the sound... <laughs> was a completely different experience at home. It wasn't bad or anything. Okay. It's just, you know, you can't compete with the hundred speakers they have oh, in, a, yeah. in an IMAX theater. Um, oh, yeah. and, and this movie was, you know, uh, Denis Villeneuve, I, I mentioned I heard him on an interview that morning when we went to go see it in IMAX yeah. that Thursday morning. I heard him in an interview on NPR. They were talking about it. And he said, you know, every aspect of the movie we filmed for the theater mm-hmm. and we, we planned it for the theater and, to me, other than the visuals, the biggest aspect that jumped out in that regard was the sound. Um, nice. And not just the music, but I'm talking the sound. Uh, yeah. It was all really good. Yeah. Nice. There was a really great tweet that I shared with you guys. <laughs> like the memes that have come across with, with <laughs> Dune, uh, Dune's final release, finally, yeah. uh, has just been just delicious. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> um, but there was one tweet by... Uh, uh, on Twitter uh, <laughs> at Chili Boy YT, um, <laughs> that uh, I've got I've got to say it because I've got to share it on here because of uh, you'll see why. Um, but <laughs> it said uh, Denny really said, "quote Look, Nolan, you can have a huge bombastic Zimmer score, mega scale in effects, and still hear and understand the dialogue. It's okay." <laughs> and then he followed that up with the first. I know Hans Zimmer didn't do the score for Tenet. Okay, thanks. Uh, Ludwig Göransson's score was my favorite thing about the film. But, uh, uh, but uh, Tenet, I guess I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah. So anyway, uh, I love that because I. Christopher Nolan, I is he 
I don't know. Is he deaf? I I really <laughs> like I it's it's insane. It's a bit of a problem. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, so I just wanted to share that because I thought it was a delicious tweet. Mm-hmm. Um do you guys have any other thoughts and non spoilers, or do you want to go into spoilers or um I do. What have you? You do have thoughts. Uh, okay. how did you guys feel about the casting? Um do you, as readers of the books, mm-hmm. do you feel like they matched up to uh, h- how they were written? Like, I think personally, I think Timothy Chalamet as Paul is just a, a fucking slam dunk. Oh, Perfect. yeah. Like, yeah. I, oh, I yeah. couldn't envision anyone better. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyone else that stood out to you or for for good or bad? Man, um I think Stellan Skarsgård is perfect casting. Yeah. Um, he, the, and the visualization of the Baron is yeah. like, he's, he's yeah. horrifying. Right. It's horrific. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, he was he was perfect <clears throat> casting for that. Um, I've been a Rebecca Ferguson fan for a while, mm-hmm. and I think she did a good job too. Yeah. I think her character was a little a little underused, I mm-hmm. think. I think yeah. she's going to have a bigger role in the second film. Um, mm-hmm. But I, that's not necessarily a criticism. There's a ton of moving parts to this story in right. this movie, so there's only so much you can do. Um, but we, we praised Jason Momoa earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to see more um, Josh Brolin. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he's unfortunately yeah. not in it all, a lot, which, mm-hmm. is, which is kind of a bummer. But uh, yeah, I thought everybody was just on point. Javier Bardem, his yeah. entrance... God damn, he's yeah. great. Um, yeah, I think Oscar I, Isaac. Oscar Isaac, yeah, yes. right. Uh, oh, I would yeah. love to see more of him. Um, but I, I think, you know, visually and uh, skill-wise, I, I don't know if I'd change anything as far as casting. I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I'm excited for uh, uh, Zendaya mm-hmm. uh, in part two. I mean, she she has literally like nothing to Barely do Barely in the, right. That was a bummer for me. But I understand yeah. with the structure and everything, but yeah. also I just, I don't know. Yeah. It, it is kind of weird how heavily she was promoted yeah. in this mm-hmm. and with given how much she has to do in it. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Speaking yeah. of promotion before we jump into not to uh spoilers. Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. <laughs> Did you see <laughs> I love the dismissive laugh. <laughs> okay, just let it out. Um <laughs> did you guys see the uh the general like poster the, the main poster that was used in the united states versus the chinese poster i i did see no, that I didn't. The, yeah like the the character of dr kynes mm-hmm. is like not on the poster for the chinese poster and she's like the only black person right like, javier bardem is hispanic mm-hmm. um yeah Jason, jason momoa has the uh, he's a person of color right but yeah. the, the black the one black person is not <laughs> on the movie poster it's and they have a history of doing that with famously with john boyega and star yeah. wars and feckus post is it uh, did you see that where feckus that might have been who i saw okay. it yeah i just yeah. pulled it up uh i just thought it was really funny feckus said uh, he had it side by side of the uh, American poster and Chinese poster with a circle over Dr. Kynes on the American one. But yeah. um, he said, China just loves leaving certain types of characters <laughs> off of movie posters. Just ask John Boyega. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. Mm. I, I, I thought one of the weaker characters was actually Dr. Kynes. Um, I, I think she was a little exposition heavy and just kind of um she has a couple lines i I think her character was a little ambiguous too like it wasn't demonstrated that she's supposed to be this conscientious observer yeah she's not choosing sides and 
I don't know how well that was explained. I think she was a little bit confusing. Um, and she's just kind of got a couple lines that I thought were not the best written. Um, and the, the actor was fine. She did, she did, she did a good job. She, yeah. she was fine. But, um, especially at, at the kind of the end of her performance, she did a good mm-hmm. job. But, uh, the character was just a little unrealized in my opinion. And I, I like, uh, Denny's, uh, decision to gender flip the character yeah. from the book. And I also, oh, yeah, that's right. It worked. Uh, yeah. Hmm. I feel, Maybe I'm misremembering it, but I feel like he was in the book. He was around for longer mm-hmm. uh, than yeah. than she was here. I I, I don't mm-hmm. know. It's like I said, it's been a little while, so I can't remember exactly. But I think you're right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like it was a little bit more prominent. I did like the way that the character was introduced in this movie and the way that the character was outlined in the movie as a, like you said, Tony. I, I mean, this is in this is disagreeing with your with your assessment but mm-hmm. i feel like it uh, for me it uh, it felt like it was a an essential character a good way to kind of demonstrate the uh the uh the squirreliness of the imperium uh-huh. mm-hmm. and how this character is like the part of the transition team right um and yeah so i i uh i i liked it i was fine okay yeah yeah, yeah. But as far as casting, yeah, I the only the only downside is Zendaya is barely in the movie. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, She's like almost only in the movie visually. Right. <laughs> right. And she has the opening narration. Yeah. And then yeah, and she's in visions, and then yeah. you know, yeah. Not a lot of Dave Bautista either, which is a bummer. That was a big yeah. bummer too. Yeah. No, yeah. but we'll definitely get more of him in right. part two. Yeah. Right. Yep. He was also kind of serving double roles because he, he was a bit of a blend of in the book rabin is a character mm-hmm. but he's he kind of teams up with the uh, fade Routha, the the other i think he's also a nephew of the baron i, oh, I don't remember yeah, yeah i, I can't remember either yet. but fade Routha hmm. is more of like the fighting he's more of like the gurney halleck duncan mm-hmm. idaho kind of fighting okay. fighting type champion character i saw some people or i think i saw at least one person say that um they were surprised that in like in two big adaptations and everything so far, no one has thought to combine Duncan Idaho and, and Gurney. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Which I was thinking about that. And like, I don't remember necessarily a lot from the book and everything, but I would say that I'm very glad <laughs> that they're not <laughs> specifically because, and we can get into spoilers here in a second, but um, specifically because they serve very different purposes obviously mm. and i think that i think if they were to combine those characters as being like the i mean i guess technically technically duncan idaho was like the weapons trainer guy but mm-hmm. he, the reason that gurney halleck was brought in was because he was going to arrakis and everything mm-hmm. but like we again that's a, maybe another slight detriment to the movie to the storytelling and everything that we get one scene with the weapons training thing and that's like int- yeah. that's the introduction of it the introduction of the shields and everything and it's in- introducing you know paul and uh gurney's kind of dynamic also which isn't prevalent in the movie by any stretch but it's like it's serving a lot of it's serving a lot of masters in that scene yeah but I feel like if they were to combine Duncan Idaho with Gurney Halleck, I think in this iteration there would have been something lost. Yeah. In terms of connection to Paul, because mm-hmm. like it, it, there is such a friendliness and a a, uh, a warmth that 
Jason Momoa gives to Timothy Chalamet. Like their mm-hmm. scenes together are very warm and everything, yeah. which we'll talk in spoilers. But can contrast that with Gurney Halleck being like, like, oh, you're not ready, or, or um, you're not feeling it today, or uh, mm-hmm. oh, you're not in the mood. It? You're not in the mood. Yeah. First of all, just that was just that was, really freaking cool. It was fun. Yeah. I loved it. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, well, um, yeah. we'll 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 see. Um, any other thoughts before Gurney Halleck is kind of like the the weathered, experienced mm-hmm. fighter too. He's clearly much older, and yeah, and you know, uh, Duncan Idaho is kind of the he's the he's hot right now. He's yeah, the, the up and comer, raw yeah. talent kind of guy. Yeah, so yeah, they're two different things. I think you could combine them and mm-hmm. maybe have a a solid story, and you wouldn't be missing much. But yeah, I'm I'm glad. I don't I don't want to lose Josh Brolin or Jason. Right. Momoa, oh, so. yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Um, yep. Uh, so, uh, real quick before, sorry to keep oh, this fine. going, but before spoilers, have either of you seen the '80s uh, David Lynch movie? I have not. Negative. Yeah, and I okay. have also not seen the Hodorowsky Dune. Hodorowsky. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I planned on it before watching this one, mm-hmm. but uh, just didn't have time. Yeah, it's a cool. Yeah. Do- it's a cool documentary for sure. But nice. um, I am a bit of a defender of the David Lynch Dune mm-hmm. adaptation. Okay. I didn't know you had seen it. I've seen it several times. Yeah, it's okay. not a good movie. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> plain and simple, it's not very good. Your preference is the director's cut, right? The director's cut, though, it, it does okay. have something. Especially, uh, I can't mention it because it's a spoiler. But yeah, mm-hmm. there's later on in the story. Okay. This, this later part of book one is pretty satisfying in my book. Um, okay. But it's it's just it's very cheesy. And th- since you both read the book, you'll know there's there's several parts in the book where the character is having an inner monologue and it's like yeah. Paul thought to himself that his mm-hmm. mother was only doing, you know, and yeah. that he has this whole inner monologue. Well, David Lynch puts that in the movie. Oh yeah. I remember He's, you telling me about that. It's literally like a, a, close-up of kyle mclaughlin thinking oh, and he's, no. he's doing a voiceover where he's like i don't know what my father is thinking doing this today uh. and it's it's <laughs> it's hammy as fuck and uh. it's it's a bummer but there's there's some things to really enjoy about that movie again okay. good costuming mm-hmm. it's campy as shit if you can get past yeah. that I, I think it's worth a watch in my opinion um i think the director's cut is really hard to find though Oh, okay. Um, okay. I, I saw it on like Sci-Fi Channel. Oh, wow. When I was like a kid and I had never read the book. <laughs> and I was like, this is kind of good. I thought this movie sucked. And yeah. like on TV, it was like four hours long because oh, with yeah. commercial yeah. breaks and shit. Oh, yeah. I think, but I think the actual cut is like close to three hours. Okay. So I, I don't know if you can find it anywhere, but it's 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 worth it, I think. Um, Whichever cut is on nice. HBO Max is like two two hours and 10 minutes or something okay. like that's, that. Okay, that's theatrical, I think. Okay. I'm pretty sure. So probably, yeah. Yeah, I, I have it on Blu-ray. It's nice. It's man, it's campy as shit, but it's there's some good stuff in there, in my opinion. Uh, okay, Denis hmm. Villeneuve's version is obviously way better. <laughs> um, so, anyways, that's that's all my piece, I guess. Nice. Well, my thing. Can I do a quick rant about? Uh, oh yes, part two. Yes. Mm. Um, before we go into spoilers, so my immediate reaction after finishing this was that I was very mad at, uh, I don't know if it would be Warner Brothers or Legendary or mm-hmm. who, but it just makes me mad that like we only just today, after opening weekend, got the green light for a part two. Yeah. When Denny Villeneuve kind of, I guess was very cryptic, but, you know, mm-hmm. hinted very heavily that this was only a part one of yeah. at least two mm-hmm. of this story. And I just don't understand 
why Warner Brothers or Legendary or whoever did not just immediately greenlight a part two. Yeah. And maybe they knew all along that that was going to be the plan and were mm. just like doing some coy like marketing shit to yeah. like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe if we make enough money. Yeah. Right. But like what what else did you need to know before saying yes to this like he yeah. said he said like this is only half of the story mm-hmm. you have a director that knows what he's doing with sci-fi you have like you know even if you were gonna try to get him to condense it all into one movie it, it would have been a total disaster right yeah. um it's so I I just don't know what what else they would have wanted and like ha- has he started a script yet? Do we know? Uh, there has to be because he originally yeah. wanted to film one back to back. Okay, I, I, I would right. imagine well, there and, is one. And yeah. yeah, like I think I read that the script is complete. Okay, okay. yeah. But I and well, yeah. Now now we're gonna now we know this now, but mm. we didn't know this until today how long we would have to wait to get right. a sequel. Mm-hmm. Like maybe, sure, maybe we're spoiled now because mm-hmm. sequels get released, you know, on a yearly basis. But mm-hmm. that's just how fucking Hollywood has worked since, you know, Lord of the Rings, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh I I just don't know why they played so coy with this, whether or not a part two would happen. It just annoyed me. Yeah, I definitely get that. I absolutely get that, especially because I like going through like when I was like, like reading up on it, like before it was released and everything, I was trying to figure out it was when I was reading the book. I was like, so it has been said that it's part one, right? Like this is months ago. (laughs) Uh And I couldn't find I was like wondering and I was worried, like, did they film them back to back and everything? Because like, I mean, the cast is in high demand. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, but. And so, like all of this thing, all of that stuff. But I, I will politely uh, just say I don't. I, I, I wasn't angry <laughs> specifically because I think that there are definitely extenuating circumstances. Um, because I've, I've got to wonder if we would have, if, if we would have, if this, if it would have played out the same way without covid right like last year because last year it got pushed a year a year away and this is when like obviously theater shut down for a long time they are now this year doing the hybrid hbo max and theatrical release and everything there's been a lot of studio backlash with that and everything and i kind of get i get i get it like i get the hesitance i get the I get I I get the hesitance really of it because as as highly um highly um sought after as this was as highly uh, anticipated as this was it still is a a big sci-fi property in science fiction as much as I love it uh, I feel like the studio side the business side of Hollywood doesn't quite get it all that much mm-hmm. but and like I, and it's something that i think is um is a gamble even if if it's a sure thing like this um and they because of covid and everything they probably didn't know they weren't sure how you know 
how much it would make. But yeah, but this was supposed to come out last year. That's so what I'm presumably, saying. Yeah. yeah, presumably it's been done for at least a year. So they right. should they would have at least seen it. So they would right. they like they wouldn't know like whether it was garbage or not. You but know, the, but also. Also, I think that the issue with that line of thinking <laughs> is that you're assuming that the suits of Hollywood know fuck all about <laughs> anything entertainment related. Right. Yeah. I, they are just looking at metric, like like different metrics and everything. It's something that like it's it's not something that they're they're going to watch a movie and be like, oh, I love this movie, so we're going to put all of our we're going to give this guy another one point. A hundred and sixty-five million dollar budget mm-hmm. to make another one, and then oh, it it underwhelms or doesn't make its money back. And the first one, we're kind of in hot water, right? Um, I'm speaking as a fan of the Dark Tower series, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but but yeah, I do think I, I I understand the frustration. I understand I understand that, but I think that there is for better or worse there is definitely the business side of things that is uh is a problem and i think that's why we didn't get like you know confirmation or anything especially in uh in these uncertain times yeah um yeah yeah to to answer it succinctly dollars and power yeah i think (laughs) and it's it's a never-ending conflict between business and art Mm -hmm. and and it has to be both right and yeah um i i think you know from a creative standpoint yeah they would be idiots to not mm-hmm. green light a second one but it's, yeah it's it comes down to dollars and yeah um i i think that's a bummer but mm-hmm. it's reality yeah and um and and i think it's also kind of a if you give a mouse a cookie situation where mm-hmm. you know they're you know they're like oh sure Denis, here you go here's here's a budget two yeah. movies go ahead and get her done mm-hmm. and then you know five years from now there's some other giant science fiction franchise right. that some director comes on and wants to make and then he's like well you let Denis villeneuve make two movies why can't i make two movies and right and hmm. they're like you know they want to hold on to that power whether it's an illusion or not uh the studios want to hold on to that power of you know who they can delegate their money to and they have control over the creative process and that pisses me off because they shouldn't, they should be like, right. that's what you want to do. Okay, here you go. Here's the money for it and we'll make our money back. You know, and it's, it's, it's a bummer, but, um, I, I, again, I wasn't frustrated by it either, but, okay. um, but I totally get why you feel that way. Cause I felt that way about so many movies in the past. Um, you know, I look at, look at that. What was it called? John Carter movie? Right. Yeah. They, I think they dropped like 200 million on that and it mm-hmm. was a flop. I think it made like 50, 60 million. Yeah. And I think something like that, there's several other examples where they just, you know, they're worried about their money. And that was supposed to be like, that was, that was going to be a big Star Wars-esque right. franchise thing. Right. And also that is a very apt comparison as well because that's based on source material from right. decades ago mm-hmm. and everything. And also the other thing to consider with Dune is that it's um uh is that it's also been adapted before and Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's with a good point. Something that isn't celebrated. It's kind of a punchline. <laughs> yeah. And also like I kind of feel like there I, I can kind of hear the um oh i forgot to mention something else but i can also kind of hear um <laughs> in my head people saying well, what what about lord of the rings and stuff it's like also that was such an anomaly like yep. the idea of them giving a budget 
of three movies to film back to back to back mm-hmm. like it's uh, uh, it, it's insane uh, right well yeah i mean it 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 kind of kickstarted the uh what what we know right. now yeah uh, because mm-hmm. you know harry potter uh the uh hunger games series matrix sequels the, yes mm-hmm. um uh to some extent the kill bill part one and two uh, oh yeah that uh i'm sure there's just a ton of other franchises that have done it but you know that's yeah. i don't know it is we, a it can also save money in the long run too you mm-hmm. know you reuse sets instead of have to build them yes there's, right there's money saving things but yeah. yeah and you don't have to work around the actor's schedules right right that too so yeah actors aging and stuff yeah like yes yeah, it'd be a benefit but yeah, yeah I, I totally get how you feel but yeah uh, it's just one of those realities that sucks but yeah i, I it's a bummer. i'm glad now that we know that it's happening. Yeah. At least. I'm glad it happened really this quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm and, just, I'm, and that it's doing well in theaters. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I just thought, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't, I haven't finished season, season one yet, but Ted Lasso, uh-huh. uh, there's a scene in season one where they are, and this is a tangent and everything, but uh, they're, they're doing, they're trying to get rid of a curse or something. And uh, like, one of them has like sand from a beach, and he's like, "This is the the sand from the beach where I first had sex with the supermodel." And then, and then I can't remember who it was, but someone went up to him and put his hand on his shoulder and said, "All he says is smile because it happened." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "That's God great! Damn it. That's a great." I, yeah, I really need to get get back to that. But anyway, um, it did. It made like what forty million, forty one million. Yeah, something like something that. like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Have you got? Do you guys know? Is that like the best? tally that any movies gotten and during the pandemic times that's a good uh, i have not stayed on top opening of opening weekend mm. i don't think so i know it's like high up there okay um like i assume black widow probably got close to that but uh, i meant to look it up but i forgot um yeah um maybe there, some kind of animated kids movie or something no there's there's been something else since um since black widow Mm. Uh, but I can't remember. Shang-Chi, did that do pretty good? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. No Time to Die. Oh, sure. Yeah, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Venom did really good, too. Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hmm. Um, yeah, so... Um... Sorry, we keep kicking this can down the road. Right. Transition into spoilers. <laughs> yeah, I thought there was something else I was going to say in non-spoiler, but screw it. Do you guys want to go into spoilers for let's Dune? Let's do it. Yep. All right, let's Dune it. Um, <laughs> all right, so I'm going to play a clip from the trailer, and then when we come back, we're going to be spoiling Dune. A boy. <laughs> Duncan, can I trust you with something? Yes, always. You know that. I've been having dreams about a girl on Arrakis. I don't know what it means. Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake. Hey, you. Put on some muscle? I did? No. We are House Atreides. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. Smile, Gurney. I am smiling. The Emperor asks us to bring peace to Arrakis. House Atreides accepts! 
So spoilers on for Dune, and I kind of want to get us kicked off just by talking a little bit about the scale of it. Mm. Like hearing that scene where where the Duke is like, there's no call that House Atreides doesn't answer or whatever, mm-hmm. or there's no <sighs> review that people post on iTunes that whatever. I don't know. It's stupid. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, the scale of that, like just this, like seeing like... I mean, it's very much like it's kind of, you know, it's that kind of like natural kind of um, uh, militaristic kind of uh, society kind of depiction. Like it's seen in, well, um, in places in the real world, but also like it reminds me of like the First Order in Star Wars and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just like seeing that, the scale, the ritual, the ceremony of like the whole, the whole depiction of them. Like, like having a representative from the Imperium come to formally request that the Atreides take over uh, from the Harkonnens on Arrakis and everything. Like, just the ceremony, just it says so much about the Imperium and the world and the galaxy and everything. It's just really, really cool. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, spoilers on. Let's talk. Um, <laughs> about I cannot spoilers. believe that the Duke was Paul's father the whole time. Right. Whoa. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> Thanks for saving that for spoilers. Right. <laughs> uh, um, but to to go along with that, yeah, the and I think you guys mentioned this in uh, in uh, in your parking lot episode. Mm-hmm. It's um, a parking lot special. <laughs> <laughs> potato, potato. <laughs> um, but that uh, the the production design in this is fantastic. Like, I don't know about you guys, but. And I kind of mentioned this uh, in non-spoilers, but the way that Frank Herbert writes these books, it like the geography of it just kind of got lost on me for a yeah. lot of it. Like sure. the the city on Dune, I I could not picture any of that. I couldn't picture the uh, the the Fremen cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't picture the the Thopters. Um, I just yeah. so I I really love the designs of the the cities and the the sets and the um the vehicles and all of the even like the the desert scenes. It like you can tell that they were filming in a desert. Mm-hmm. They weren't right. like in like you know the American Southwest or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um or like in a on a sound stage or whatever yeah. right uh it's it's just uh something that i really appreciate yeah yeah and that, that was brought up in the interview that i listened to with Denis Villeneuve and they were like you know the interviewer was like um you know you could have shot this on a sound stage i'm sure these actors were just absolutely sick of the sand <laughs> by the end of this thing and he's like yeah we could have but it, you know it's it, i wanted the realism i think mm-hmm. they filmed it in jordan I want to say is where they filmed it. Um, so yeah, and I think that that came across uh, yeah. totally. And I was really pleased to see so much. Um, again, a, like a, a lack of a lack of sound stages. Like there was a lot mm-hmm. of physical sets constructed for this. And, yeah, yeah there, there wasn't like a uh, an annoying number of CGI shots that were, you know, overwhelming and felt fake or cartoony. It was it was it was very rooted in reality. And uh, and physical filmmaking. Um, I 
I saw, or I think I saw like a, a tweet or a, a quote in an article or something. And Matt, I know exactly what your reaction to this is going to be, but I saw <laughs> that Christopher Nolan praised this uh, because of its use of practical sets. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Nolan's the same way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. Um, like the second viewing, and I'm going to revert to this again, and I'm sorry, but um, it's funny because it, it influenced Star Wars, obviously, Dune did. Mm-hmm. But I keep, like, when, when, uh, when they're on Arrakis and they're looking, like, Gurney and Leto are looking over the city and everything. And they're pointing out like, this is where, this is where the spice refinery is and everything. This mm-hmm. is our, this is our stronghold here and everything. This is where we need to do this and this and this and everything as like, it's just showing the scale of it and everything. Yeah. I just, in my head, I just went back to my dickhead, um, <laughs> star Wars criticisms. Like you're going to make a desert planet. And <laughs> right. And I had the planet. Same, yeah. 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 And then apropos of nothing, but, I also thought, like, uh, by the third one, by by, uh, by Return of the Jedi, he was probably like, let's make a forest planet. And then someone's like, hey, George, uh, let's, you know, cool it. And he's like, I'll make it a moon then. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, hmm. so the scale of it's amazing. The practical uh, sets and everything is really, really um, immersive mm-hmm. to me. Very immersive to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was something something big I want to talk about in spoilers. Do you guys want to talk more in depth about the character arc of Paul? Because I didn't I didn't want to say this in non spoiler, but in that second viewing, I got a lot more out of the character. Mm-hmm. In particular, the scene where he and Lady Jessica are in the tent, and he's having those yeah. those visions of mm-hmm. Trani and the Fremen. That was his strongest part of the, his performance. Oh yeah, he was like, great there. And I think that is both that that is both. Um, for me, a, a compliment and criticism for it specifically because that's like, that's why, that's why you cast a Timothy Chalamet in this role. Like that's, that's where you get that. But also I'm, 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 uh, what's the word? Not jealous, but I'm, I'm, um, I, I am greedy because I wanted more of that. I wanted him to have that struggle, like have that just outward struggle in what his, in his choices and everything. And when it gets to the point, like, I love the outburst. I love the outburst where he's like, get away from, you did this to me. You, mm-hmm. you're, you and your Benny Gesserit are, are, you know, maybe uh, a freak. Yeah. Maybe a freak. There you go. Yeah. I was, I was going to say like, didn't teach me about lightsabers, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, but like that for like, that was one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie, but talking about, more freely his character arc overall like the movie hinges the climax of that character the climax of the movie is his duel with the fremen dude and him him killing someone mm-hmm. in it and like that felt to me so just honestly just hollow mm-hmm. like it felt like there was like lady jessica's like oh he's never killed someone before i'm like yeah, I mean, that's an important, like, I remember that line from the book and everything, but I kind of wish that it was a little bit better seated and not just, like, outright said, like, oh, hey, by the way, the importance of this is that he is still a child and he has not killed another person, mm-hmm. so he's going to do this and everything. He's asking if he yields, but hey, he hasn't killed someone. That's going to be the big character arc thing. It's like, okay, well, maybe maybe have more than just one scene with him training with Gurney 
or maybe have another scene that demonstrates like him struggling with, you know, uh, his incoming adulthood and everything mm. and, and the weight of being a potential leader to whatever, whatever, <laughs> what <laughs> to whatever, whatever, uh, his destiny is. And, and, uh, if that fails, whatever his safety, uh, his safety school is for leadership. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I yeah. think a couple of those scenes were there though. Like for okay. example, the example, the hunter seeker almost killing him. Oh yeah. He, yeah. That, that's a big, that's a, really cool scene in the book and it's well done in the movie too he handles that incredibly well uh, and gets complimented from from gurney halleck someone who's critical of him not afraid mm-hmm. to criticize him right um so i think that that kind of fills that role also um when they're when they rescue the workers from the uh spice harvester and he's like the some the shield generators weigh 100 kilos we can fit an extra guy in here that's mm-hmm. like kind of an example of leadership and quick thinking on his feet and yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right, though. There wasn't another pivotal scene that demonstrates that really well, but mm-hmm. sm- that small stuff altogether, altogether, I think, is indicative of that. And also, I think that the scene at the end where he kills Jameis and mm-hmm. sort of kind of becomes a man, if you will, kind of the rite of passage thing, I think it's heightened by the fact that before that, you know, he's been having these visions where he's not sure what's true and what's an illusion or what's actually mm-hmm. going to happen. This could happen. That could happen in those visions. He's, he's sitting there having visions of Jameis and it's right. telling him, this is going to be your friend. Who's going to mm-hmm. get you, train you in the ways of the Fremen and, yeah. you know, um, uh, lead you and make you a great leader and stuff like that. And he's telling him all these inspiring things. Mm-hmm. And then like when we were watching it at home, me and Paige were watching that and, they have the duel and he kills him and she was mm-hmm. and Paige was like, Well, I thought he was gonna, you know, be this guy who's his friend and guides him through everything and yeah. teaches him all these things and I was like, Well, he did teach him. Oh yeah. You know, I mean that's, that's yeah, that's a good he, point. It just taught him in a different way. His right. vision was right, but it was also wrong. Hmm. And so I, I think I think that was kind of some fun I don't want to say wordplay, but <laughs> I'm not sure how to you know, just it, it's it, it's ambiguous. It's it's some fun ambiguity. And I think it I think it really worked. Um, I I was a little less satisfied with the ending and that that kind of climactic scene where he fights Jameis. Mm-hmm. I was a little less satisfied with that in the theater, but when I saw it again at home, I thought it was a little better. Um, to that point, I this is I guess a little bit of a book spoiler, but like okay. to me, the perfect point to stop the movie would have been once he's a little more introduced into the siege and introduced to the Fremen. Yeah. He, he basically right. goes through the ceremony where he, mm-hmm. he drops spice. He takes that mm-hmm. in spice, yo. And right. He trips balls like crazy. Right. And basically like free your mind, bro. He basically becomes the Quetzal's Heterok. Right. And I was like, that's where I, I was so convinced that's where Denis Villeneuve was going to yeah. stop this movie. Yeah. Cause it, I, I believe the book is split in, into two phases. Right. Right. And right. That's, right. that's the point where that's like a natural stopping point yeah. for the first yeah. installment. Yeah. And I think he becomes like the leader of all Fremen. Not long after, like I know he, he, he takes control of that siege from Stilgar. I want to say, Mm, um but then i think he becomes like the head leader of all fremen i want to say like that like all those those three things he becomes takes spice becomes a quite and then he uh uh becomes a leader of the siege and becomes a leader of all fremen Mm. i think that's all like within 
50, 100 pages of each other in the book. Yeah. And, like, you know, somewhere in there would have been the perfect stopping point. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what I was fully envisioning for the ending of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't, we didn't get that. So I was a little let down. But I, I think, I think Denis Villeneuve did a good job because this is such an introductory movie that I think taking him to that point would have been almost too far. Not, not necessarily too far. I think it would have been more what Matt's talking about where it was, wasn't the most satisfying character arc for Paul Atreides. That would have been much more definitive. And I think a a bigger climax for his character, but Mm -hmm. it's going to be so fucking cool when they do it in the second movie. (laughs) So it's like, we're going to, we're going to get it. It's going to get, we're going to get there. And so this is, it's, it's sticking to the introductory nature of this movie. And I, I, I've, I've made peace with that and with the ending, I guess. Mm -hmm. So sorry. I just talked a lot. Oh no, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um I to kind of go along with that, I was also just a little bit uh let down by the final scene. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe this is a little nitpicky, but I remember and correct me if I'm wrong, I remember from the book the Fremen are so uh impressed by him after he kills uh Jameis or whatever mm-hmm. his name is. Um not because he kills him, but because Paul sees what happens and he cries because of it. And they see him exactly sacrificing his water, I think is what, right. they, mm-hmm. what they say. And doing that for a dead person mm-hmm. um, when it should be the other way around. The dead person gives the the group their water. Right. Um, yeah. and, and they didn't have that in this, which... You know, isn't a huge deal. I don't know why they didn't include that, but right, I'm I'm right. not mad mm-hmm. about it or anything. Yeah, I think it would have had more weight if mm-hmm. they would have included that because I was expecting it too when I was seeing it in the theater. I was like, oh, he's about to cry, and it's gonna. Be, oh yeah, he's gonna expel his water or whatever. You right, know, sacrifice his water because they do kind of see that early with the the first meeting with Stogar where yeah. he spits on the table, right? Which was yeah. a great scene. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. but without that. Like without that at the end, that also kind of that kind of makes the Stilgar scene, that first one, kind of seem almost well, almost a little bit like lip service to just like the importance of water, right? Yeah. To the Fremen and everything, yeah. And that that is my probably my biggest my biggest complaint with the movie is that the Fremen are so receded to the background. Yeah, there is n- like hardly anything anything with them their mythology and culture is is not as expanded as it should have been i agree with that right and like they have like little bits and pieces that are just really enticing and interesting but Mm -hmm. i mean i don't know and that that also makes me think i have a theory that i'm going to posit for dune part two (laughs) um hardly dunin um (laughs) dune part dune part two gone dunin um i don't know um That's awesome. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I'm very curious, and it, this would make so much more sense if they had ended it at the part that you talked about with him kind of, you know, uh, you know, becoming the Kwesat Haderach and uh, and going on more on the journey toward Muad'Dib. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad I get to pronounce I really like the pronunciation <laughs> of that. Yeah, totally. Muad'Dib. Yeah. But, um, but if they had ended it or, or – um, I just completely lost my train of thought. Oh my god! Um, wow, I had the whole. What was I saying right before that? Because I just got so in my head about Muad'Dib. Um, if they had ended it with him becoming that, uh, yeah. Okay, my theory for part two. 
is, and this would make more sense if they had ended it where you said, but I wonder if Paul is going to do the narration in mm. part two to oh, be like, oh, hey, you know, huh. like, <laughs> and it'll be just be something like, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> like, how did I, how did I get here? <laughs> like record scratch. Yeah, that's yeah. me. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's what it is. Wondering. <laughs> My life's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So dumb. But I'm curious about that. And it, I'm excited. I'm excited and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but I do think structurally it's a little, it's a little bit off kilter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this may be giving more credence to it or more leeway to it and everything. But I kind of also wonder, like, I mean, are those criticisms going to be, I don't want to say, are they going to be valid, but are they going to be anything that's even on our radar when uh when we have part two and mm-hmm. we can watch them both together and right. everything yeah um yeah so i'm i'm curious about that but mm-hmm. um yeah there was another point i was going to make but i do want to mention we didn't say this in spoil in non-spoiler but the uh ben when you said that you couldn't visualize like the ornithopters or whatever mm-hmm. i couldn't either and like as soon as they were on screen i was like that's it that's yeah. what it is like right. oh my god yeah totally like uh and I, I, I just love, I love the design of everything in this mm-hmm. movie. Totally. Um, um, yeah. So Ben, Matt and I talked about this in our parking lot special. I'm curious if you, if you picked up on this or maybe I'm weird. <laughs> um, to me, I picked up on sort of a genre bending aspect of this movie where I feel like there were some almost like blatant horror tones to this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, most notably, almost anything with a Harkonnen in it, mm-hmm. um, yeah. especially the Baron. Um, but to, to me, and, and this was sort of solidified on my second viewing with my wife, the um, scene on, I think it's called like Gallus Prime or something. Gaiety like. Prime. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. the, so the, I'm not Gaiety Prime, the the scene on the Sardaukar oh, yeah, army yeah. planet. I can't uh-huh, remember what it was. Yeah. Gallus something. I don't remember. Maybe I'm making that up. Um, they're, there's human sacrifice and blood anointment with the soundtrack of throat speaking (laughs) of a speech. We don't even know what they're saying. Um, Mm. That was so disturbing to me. And like when I was watching it with Paige, like they cut to that wide shot of bodies being flayed open and their blood let out of and and literally flowing in a river and being collected for the the purposes of blood anointment on these soldiers my my wife was just like, oh, like she literally, she had an audible reaction to it. And I was like, right? Me fucking too. I was like, I was like kind of sick to my stomach in uh, on watching that on a 160 foot screen yeah. with the, the base of that speech uh-huh. going on. I was like, that was just per- audibly and visually perfect as far as like something that's going to like haunt me and stick with me forever. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious if you had like sort of almost a horror undertones or horror kind of reactions to some of the stuff in the movie. Yeah. Or am um, I weird? You know, I, uh, <laughs> for whatever reason, I guess I must have blocked that, that specific image out of the, okay. the, the gruesomeness of the Sardaukar plant. I remember that scene, mm-hmm. but I don't remember that, those specific images, okay. but yes, I, I definitely would agree, uh, that there are definitely some horror images. And I think, I read a headline. I didn't read the whole thing, but there was an interview with, uh, I believe, 
uh, Dave Batista and Stellan Skarsgård, who like they said their primary objective was to be uh, uh, terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I, I definitely agree. They succeeded with that mission uh, accomplished. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like we kind of said it a little bit in non-spoilers, Stellan Skarsgård, just the way that his character is designed is just terrifying. Yes. And the way that like the way that he moves around with that, like, I don't know, hover chair or whatever with his spine yeah. is, is really, uh, really interestingly done. Cause it's so creative. Cause in the book yeah. he's where he wears a belt. He wears okay. like a, a anti-gravity <laughs> belt. And I think I heard too, in the David Lynch version, he mm. kind of does move around a little similarly, but he's a cartoon. Looks, it looks more goofy. He's a cartoon in the David okay. Lynch movie. It's, yeah. it's not well done at all. Okay. The, yeah. The thing I found interesting, and this might just be my, it's, it's, it's probably not a good analysis or anything, but my kind of take on his design in it. Um, granted, I haven't seen David Lynch's, uh, take on it or anything, but the way that he just levitates and everything, it's like he, in the way that his, um, his costume or his, his wardrobe is like flowing down. It's like, mm-hmm. it is so interesting to me. Cause it's like, he is like, it's like, he's like, I am the sandworm. Um, <laughs> like it's very wormy and it just yeah. seems like this is. In an interesting way, it's like it's like he is. I mean, he has presided over Arrakis for however long and everything. And it's weird that like you know, uh, you know, sandworms are like in I guess I apex predator, I guess, or like they yeah. they're kind of top of the food chain. And like he has, in my opinion, has patterned himself after that, or just created in himself this this vast quality and everything. And I think that that's just really interesting characterization for, uh, the Baron. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. to add on to the horror elements as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the scenes that I was most excited for is the scene with Paul and the, uh, Reverend mother. Mm-hmm. Of the, oh the yeah. Benny Gesserit yeah. With his hand in the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, that scene was like one of my favorites in the book. Yeah. And I was really curious to see how Denny Villeneuve was going to portray that because mm-hmm. it is, it's not really a very like kinetic scene. It's all very internal. Right. And I love the way that, uh, Villeneuve, you know, showed it. I love Timothy Chalamet's performance in it. Uh, it, it just, it was so, it was as exciting on the screen as it was in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, cause yeah. he, he really has to show, you know, he's feeling pain and fear, mm-hmm. uh, but also sort of confidence. Right. Uh, and just the way that it all comes together here was just really well done. Yeah. I, I love that scene too. I think that was probably the second most impressive scene from Timothy Chalamet. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, I, like, like you were saying the part where he kind of overcomes it mentally mm-hmm. and focuses and gains confidence. To like, okay, I can do this. And he kind of starts to like stare down the Reverend mother. Mm-hmm. I was like, Hey, he's, he's hitting it out of the park here. He's doing a good job. I, I agree. I really liked that scene a lot too. Yeah. Um, and to the, I, I mentioned the costuming. I loved the way she looked that, right. that mm-hmm. giant ridiculous Pope hat. Yeah. And the veil over her face. That was, that was really cool. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I'm just going through our text, our, our like the three of our texts and everything, <laughs> and just like uh, there was a tweet that we shared last month, but it was a tweet that was a uh, extreme. Uh, did I share this with you? I don't know, but um, it was extremely Elton John voice. Benny Jesuit. That's awesome. So dumb. Yeah. But yeah, that scene was incredible. I, yeah, I feel like that. Um, you know, speaking to the mythology and and world building, um, I feel like kind of a dropped ball in in the whole movie. Um, I'm not I'm not really mad at it, but it's it it's something that I think would be fun if they had explored more. Were the Mentats? Yeah. I want to be completely honest. I 100% forgot everything about Mentats. Until Me too. This I had to like go googling and stuff. Yeah. And like what? What are they? They're uh, they're. Are I they don't in remember. The movie? They're, yeah. They're they're okay. like human computers. Oh, yeah, they're like okay. human computers. Yeah. Like uh, Thufir Howitt, the the black guy who the kind of heavyset black guy was a Mentat. Oh and, yeah. Uh, P- Peter DeVries, the guy, the good people who can like shadow their eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're, okay. they're both mentats. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. But the, the none of their mythology was explored at all. Yeah. Yeah. And they're highly, you know, arguably just as influential as the Benny Gesserit. Mm-hmm. The b- b- Benny Gesserit. Yeah. Um, they're up there with you know the Spacing Guild and the Benny Gesserit. Mm-hmm. They're their own whole whole order and all the. They're some of the most trusted advisors of all these high houses, and like none of their mythology was explored. Yeah, um, and again, I'm not that mad at it because you know you've got this could have very if you explore some of these things we're talking about, you could be looking at a three hour plus movie, right? Yeah, and it's just half the damn book. Yeah, so I, I understand why it was left out, and maybe there's going to be more of it, but mm. um, the, the I just think that the Mentats are really cool. And, yeah, and I was it would be cool if they were explored more as kind of a. I don't know, a middle finger to James Cameron and everything. <laughs> I would love the idea. I, I love the idea that what if like they uh, make, you know, uh, Dune into this massive, massive kind of big franchise thing mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, while James Cameron is still like, oh, I'm going to make my, I'm, I'm still making my like four Avatar sequels and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and people know. just like lose interest in Avatar. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> and I am really glad uh, this isn't a spoiler, but I'm really mm-hmm. glad that this movie exists how it does because I could easily see this being turned into a mini series like oh, on totally. HBO Max and, and just was... being completely forgotten in a year or two. Yeah. Yeah. There's there so was... much potential for spinoffs. Oh, yeah. There was talk about an HBO Max spinoff for all about the Benny Gesserit. Well, yeah. And there, I think there are, there is at least one book that is about the oh. Benny Gesserit, oh, like nice. not a Frank Herbert book, but, uh, there's, there's so many spinoff books. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the Canon books though, there's Frank Herbert wrote what, four of them? Six. He wrote six, but then uh-huh. didn't his son write like three? Uh, yes, I think so. I think there's not, I want to say there's nine. We could there's, e- easily there's Google bunch. it, but <laughs> right, um, yeah. But I think those are the only ones that are canon. Are Frank Herbert and his son? Mm-hmm. And I've only read the first two. So to uh, to go back to your comment about the Mentats, uh, I'm I'm not going to read it all, but maybe I'll read it off mic. Uh, but people on Letterboxd, uh, go and read uh, Demi Adjuwebe's uh, review of Dune. Nice. It's really funny. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's all. Yeah, I haven't I haven't read it, but 
uh he's he's amazing yeah yeah um yeah i was trying to find i was trying to discreetly find any news about the benny jesuit show but apparently like they were like dune the sisterhood is supposed to be on the way and everything um but i don't know much about it which also that i mean that's been in the works for a while um like it was it was planned last year and everything um as well but uh in that like in that case that also kind of maybe nullifies a little bit the counter argument about about announcing part two (laughs) and everything like if they have enough confidence to have in production or in pre-production an entire show um i think i think at some point there was talk about they needed to get a new showrunner or something like that but i don't know but anyway um i'm all for it i i think that the world is incredibly incredibly rich Mm um yeah um what else should we talk about i kind of feel like we have gone for a while but we've also Mm -hmm. kind of scratched the surface a little bit right like sandworms awesome i know (laughs) i feel like there was there would be a little more of them in this movie um well there was a tweet that (laughs) (laughs) i was going to share uh with this um there was a tweet that said uh from chill stable guy on twitter said if i were marketing dune i'd market the opening weekend by saying the early birds get even more worm and have extra worm footage first weekend only (laughs) don't know why they didn't consider this So that's funny. I sent that to Fekus and he said, that is so a mad hurt joke. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I understand that the relevance of the worms mm-hmm. um, grows mm-hmm. in the second half of the book and they become more relevant. Uh, we understand their role as makers, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was only kind of hinted at in this movie. Right. Um, so I, I, I get that, but yeah, I, I mean, there's like, three or four scenes with sandworms that's yeah. about it and mm-hmm. we don't really uh, until that the big scene that's yeah. real real dark when they're trying to cross to the mm-hmm. um after the thopter crashed and crashed and they're trying to cross the desert and that uh, that sandworm comes out of the sand and looks mm-hmm. at him kind of we didn't really get a really good shot of what a sandworm looks like until that point i agree it's kind of crazy and um, i, I kind of i like that in terms of withholding it and everything and it mm-hmm. makes that scene more powerful in my opinion yeah that's true um that's the scene i was talking about that the sound like just the yeah the like the i don't, I don't right know, i can't do i can't i can't do uh sandworm but <laughs> um but yeah the sound is just really cool like that almost mechanical like organism kind of right. thing right yeah it's really cool totally yeah um, um i do think in regard to worms the like final scene um of the movie they're showing a fremen riding a sandworm yeah i thought yeah. that was kind of anticlimactic like i feel like that's a, a little hu- bit that's a huge part and a bit kind of a big reveal in the book yeah and they just kind of throw it casually throw it in there right like, and i feel like they were building to it because they yeah. showed dr Keens getting ready to yeah. to ride one she gets her whatever those tools are yeah and i was like, like oh shit or she, something right i was like yeah. she's about to try to fucking ride a sandworm this is gonna right. be cool as shit and they just kind of throw it in at the end of the movie i yeah. was like what the fuck like i i will say uh denny if you're listening i love you but (laughs) i would say that they set up uh they set up the the fremen riding the sandworm better than they set up paul's ascension into fremenhood or something (laughs) like his thing like set up that duel at the end and everything is (laughs) yeah um in my opinion okay yeah 
which also to talk to go back to talking about just the overarching thing of like a self-contained storyline in a single part thing like i do make that comparison to fellowship of the ring mm-hmm. and it chapter one but i feel like it chapter one and uh and uh fellowship of the ring they are much more self-contained stories than right. than dune was true yeah, yeah i agree so I think there's a way to do that. There's a way to dune that, but, <laughs> um, but I think that's just one of the one of the faults of of this movie. Yeah, but and I, I do think um, speaking of visuals, visual <laughs> cues and stuff, uh, choices in, that they made in the movie. Um, I'm just thinking back to the book. Like it's uh, the Sardaukar are not anywhere near as um, detailed as they are in this movie like oh yeah they, right. they like float around and shit in this movie which is cool as hell mm-hmm. um in the book they're like res- described like they have helmets and swords like they're right. very nondescript in the book mm-hmm. yeah um I, I i maybe i'm just an idiot but just like the the geography i don't know if i could have told you what the hell a sardaukar was right in the book yeah. until like maybe until the end mm-hmm uh, so yeah. I mean, to get what we got, I was happy with. Mm-hmm. I think their mythology is kind of expanded in later books, isn't it? A little bit. Um, I don't think so. Oh, okay, because I thought maybe in one of the later books, but I mean, by okay. that my ears had glossed over. Gotcha. <laughs> um, I think that there is, and this is just conjecture because I haven't read the books or anything. Mm-hmm. But they were cloned by Django Fett. <laughs> um uh, yeah but also the um like the harkonnens in the book they're Mm -hmm. like they're known by their descriptive or very distinct like red hair oh yeah which uh, Hmm. david lynch did it in the movie (laughs) and it's it's not not very good (laughs) and it looks ridiculous like especially um you know sting played the part of Fade Rautha in the movie. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like the, the, the musical artist Sting. And he he was fine. I'm not shitting on his performance, but like... Did someone call the police? <laughs> <laughs> but him with this like ridiculous red hair, it just... Oh, yeah. I'm so glad they went a different route. <laughs> the, yeah. What I know of the David Lynch movie feels like it's very... It feel it. Um, I assume that it's very sparkly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's very eighties. Yeah, very eighties yeah. cocaine fueled wardrobe from Tums. my perception of it. But yeah, I feel like you know Denis Villeneuve was like, "What are we gonna do? You know, what's gonna be the distinct look of the Harkonnens?" Mm-hmm. I feel like he cast Dave Batista first, and he was like, "Hey, Dave, you've been bald for twenty years. Right. I like that. <laughs> yeah, let's keep that going." Let's do that. And yeah. he just took, and I was like, "Great choice. Like, right. uh, that worked very well." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um okay. Should we start winding down? Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. Totally. So what what do we think of Dune, guys? How do you how are you guys feeling? It's all right. <laughs> cool. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's still um uh, to echo or to continue what I said in the parking lot special. It's it's my number one movie of the year. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen a lot of movies that came out this year, but mm-hmm. it's going to be very hard to topple. I totally expect nice. it to be my number one movie of the year. You clearly yes. haven't seen the Space Jam sequel. <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah, I might be eating my words here. Yeah, <laughs> which I think um, might be reavailable on HBO Max now. Is it really? I think. Uh, I don't know, if maybe. not now, pretty soon. Yeah, maybe I'll by s- the end of the year. I'll yeah. see it eventually, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's Oof. it just I I've had uh, like we talked about early on I've had um, we've been waiting for this for a while and, yeah. and you know uh-huh. Denis Villeneuve announced it that he's doing this movie three 
plus years ago. Probably, yeah. And then, you know, he announced he completed it and then mm-hmm. it was supposed to come out over a year, almost a year ago. Um, it's, it's the visuals have been bouncing around in my brain for mm-hmm. three plus years at this point about what D- Denis Villeneuve could achieve yeah. with this movie. And I have been sitting on that for three years and, mm-hmm. and thinking about that for three years. Right. And he exceeded my expectations. My, awesome. my mind is feeble compared to what that man <laughs> created. And I, I give yeah. him so much credit for, for that. I, 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 I had a lot. I don't want to say all the confidence in the world, but I had a boatload of confidence in what he could achieve. But yeah. for him to exceed that, I am just beyond thrilled. And uh, I, it's it's not a perfect movie, but I think it's a perfect Dune movie. Oh, nice! I'll put it that way. Oh, I, that, well said. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> nice, Ben. Um, yeah, I mean, for the longest time, Dune was considered like one of the most unadaptable, mm-hmm. at least sci-fi books uh ever and so i'm really glad that this uh that it it exists how it does uh at the moment um yes it does kind of suck that it's only half of a movie technically Mm -hmm. um but it's it's fucking fun as hell (laughs) uh uh and for whatever reason like the 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 emotional coldness or whatever of the characters wasn't really a deal breaker for me. And I, I do get on board with the Paul, uh, arc more than you do, Matt, I Mm -hmm. think, but for whatever reason, at least currently, maybe I need to reevaluate. I don't know if this will be in my top 10. Oh, wow. Um, Whoa. And no, now I, 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 I loved it. I mm-hmm. think it's amazing, mm-hmm. um, but I don't Get know. Out. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. The, cancel the Dune Bro shirts I have ordered. <laughs> Maybe it'll change if people Venmo me uh, ticket money to right. uh, see it at IMAX. Uh, <laughs> But uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash promise it'll get to him. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I loved it. it. It met all of my expectations mm-hmm. um, and I don't really have anything bad to say about it. Uh, I think it's uh, uh, it is I I, I don't want to know what a different director would have done with this. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. uh, so I, I'm really glad that it was Denny Villeneuve. I'm excited to see what it does with the Oscars. Um, oh, yeah. That's probably just me. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll at least make for an interesting, I mean, visual effects and everything. Like those, right. those categories yeah, are good. Like all of the tech categories for sure. sure. Yeah. yeah. Sound. Oh, yeah cinematography visual effects yeah yeah right. i want to share one more tweet that ben you actually shared <laughs> um uh from mike drucker um <laughs> this this cracked me up um dune um <laughs> like this is this is a conversation so like dune <laughs> saying people use space drugs to travel through space and gain superpowers me all right dune uh space drugs are only on a dirt planet with giant worms and also the new space messiah me Pretty reasonable. Dune. 
there's a character named Duncan Idaho. <laughs> Me. Okay, hold on. <laughs> that was great. That I saw was that. so good. That was perfect. There, uh, one of the best things about this being released is the internet realizing that there is a character named Duncan Idaho. <laughs> yes. And all of so the memes great. that have come out because of it. Um, I... One of my favorites yeah. uh, is is one for people that have seen what we do in the shadows. It's mm. it's a classic. Uh, okay. So if you want to <laughs> see it, I have a screenshot of it. Uh, send me a DM on Instagram. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what Frank Herbert was thinking there. <laughs> yeah. I so I'm googling something and I'm hoping that I can find. What? I'm hoping that someone has made this. But while you're doing that, I'll yes. just say real quick. I'm really glad that I read the book beforehand, but I'm curious. Uh, it almost kind of makes me want to wonder how I would have perceived this if I would have gone in cold. You know, yeah, I think if it would, I would oh, have been yeah. totally unfamiliar with mm -hmm. it. I think it would have been a totally different experience. I think so. they do a decent job of exposition and setting up the world, mm -hmm. um, but it like. I know my sister hasn't seen, hasn't read the book, so I'm curious to see what her reaction is going to be. Right. Nice. Yeah. Um, so I haven't found like an image to my liking or anything, but the thing that I Googled um, and people have said it, there's been memes of it and everything. So it's not very clever or anything, but um, like the thought that I had in my head was um, Arrakis runs on Duncan. Um, <laughs> there, like, there, I think I have seen one that was nice. like that. that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, Duncan Idaho run. I don't know. Yeah, Arrakis runs on Duncan Idaho. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I just I I thought of that and just giggled to myself. <laughs> it's clever. Yeah. Okay. Uh, have we sufficiently? talked well i mean i'm we could talk more but <laughs> right i kind of want to get you guys out of my apartment yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah so yeah overall i liked dune i hope you guys liked it too i hope you guys liked our episode on it mm -hmm. um maybe i'll try to get fecus on to do like a supplementary episode or something mm -hmm. i don't cool. know but i think next week we are going to try to reconvene for a review of marvel studios eternals um which nice. we the three of us saw at a screening last night um yeah uh followed shortly by an ebert episode yes yes <laughs> yes you're right um <laughs> yes uh yeah really quick one word one word uh answer what did you guys think of eternals one word one word answer just like rapid fire surprised okay surprised yeah ben. eternal Okay. <laughs> um, uh, different. Okay. So two words. But um, <laughs> but you have a review that's going to post on Tuesday. I'm going to hopefully write a review of Eternals, and then we're going to do an episode next week. Uh, my word for Eternals is okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So I am going to start playing us out. Just want to say once again, thank you guys so much for listening um, and, uh, and everything. Check out all of our other stuff and, uh, and get those uh, iTunes reviews going. Yes. yes we're we up have, to 54. I saw that. Yes. yes nice. With promises of another one um, from, from uh, listener Larry. So thank you guys. Uh, and yeah, we'll uh, see you next time. 
And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. One, I would either, I think I'd mention, I hear that he escapes. I just drive to Florida. I just leave. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, that's the most logical <laughs> explanation. Movie done in about 30 seconds. Right. Um, option two is like you stab him. Okay, that's great. Now we need to cut his head off. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. You may have, you know, she does it at like, you know, the back of the neck. Mm-hmm. You may have paralyzed him. Right. But you may not actually kill him. And I mean, that's assuming that you're hitting the spinal cord and all the nerves and everything. Right. I'm I'm option. Okay, that was fun. You had your moment. Now, when you head out, I'm in the background with a saw, (laughs) right? cutting the head off, (laughs) destroying, unfortunately, destroying the brain. Yes, Um, yes. For for everyone listening, Jess has a a fascination with the brain. She has a collection and she has promised to preserve my brain when she murders me and keep it on display. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which... Yeah, maybe. To be honest, I think that that's just super nice, and I really appreciate that. The Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to ObsessiveViewer.com slash OV archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. And follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer and at Obsessive Tiny. And follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike White, that's me, at R.A. Fekis and at Burger underscore Lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband.
Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty!